Hello, you're listening to a Talker Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. And today's episode is our spring 2023 anime season first impressions. We've gone through, shoot, some shows are past their fourth episode. They're going on their fifth. <laughs> the season's already away, and it's time to really give our thoughts, our first impressions on each show, let you guys know what's all in it, and if it's something you should be checking out and not miss out. So, how's things going, Chris? Uh... Besides looking like your hand's broken, you breaking your hand now? Yeah, something you, like that. Just that uh, that uh, ballerina accident, you just fell and you break. It, it's a trope in certain shows. You hurt your hand and you can't do the competition anymore. And it's life and it's life altering. Yeah. And and I, <laughs> I have to be anymore. super. I have to be super uh, edgy about it. No, no. The next time you use it, it'll never work again. <laughs> that whole thing. You could die. Uh, but yeah, we're at talkingspirit.com. That's where you can go for our links, social media links, Discord, all that good stuff. So you can get a hold of us as well as ways to support us through Patreon, tips, links, and all that kind of stuff. Or if you're on YouTube, you can support through Super Chats and memberships. We appreciate everybody that supports the channel. You guys are amazing. But yes, without further ado, we have a lot to go through. Hopefully, you can get at least half of it done now, and then we can do another half later on. It First impressions take a long time, especially now that we have you know 50-plus shows anymore. It's just... The industry's trying to take us out. Think so? That's why they're producing so many anime. They're like, we got to stop those guys. They uh, claim they want to watch everything. <laughs> we will stop them, but just give them way too much stuff. Uh, let's kick things off with the first show that pretty much aired, and that is Hell's Paradise. It kicked off on, uh, I think it was the first show, the April 1st show. But uh, yeah, done by Mappa. The Japanese title is Jiko Kuroku. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was done by our director was Kaori uh, Makita, who did Kakagori Twins. Um, but yes, action, adventure, mystery, supernatural shonen. Um, yeah, this one opens up in like a field Japan. You have this guy that's being exe- executed named uh, Gabi Maru. He's known as the Hollow because he's such a crazy assassin. Uh, he's being executed. He was betrayed by his tribe. You kind of find out later that Gabi Maru was trying to get out of the gig. Like he didn't want to do it anymore. Because he was assigned to wed the daughter of the chief. And the daughter of the chief pretty much instilled upon him this desire to not want to do what the tribe wants him to do, which is kill. He wanted to be a normal normal husband for her. Because that's kind of the desire that she had was just to be her own person. But within this tribe, if you're a male, you assassinate. If you're a female, you birth children for those assassins. Uh, apparently when she was younger, she wanted to just have her own life. But her father, like burnt her face over it and so nobody wanted to wed her and then he wedded her because the chief told him to but yeah she instilled upon him the desire to change and he decided that he wanted to quit and the chief decided to betray him by getting him caught and then he was set to be executed but thing is it seems like he cannot be killed (laughs) like every time they try to chop off his head his neck like is so strong it breaks the blade they tried to burn him alive they tried to have ox rip him in half from end to end and Every method fails, and it seems like he wants to die. He tells this this lady that comes by, Sagiri, that he wants to die, but then she notes after a while of kind of absorbing him, he doesn't really want to die. He actually has a desire to live, and that's when we find out that, yes, he actually desires to get back to his wife. That's the thing that he loves, despite the fact that he wants to give off this facade that he's given up. But um, she offers him an option. An option that would allow him to see his wife again, and that is the Shogunate at the time is offering all these criminals, these disposables, to go to this island that they known that is known as Paradise to acquire this elixir of life. 
which grants immortality for the Shogun. And so he's been selected. And so if he does do this, gets the elixir of life, comes back, he will be given a pardon. And thus he'll be able to go to, he'll have that protection. He'll be able to go back to his hometown, get his wife back and live a normal life with her. So knowing all this, he decides, okay, well, I'll do it for you. And so he, along with everybody else, is shipped off to this place where they meet the Shogun. They learn what they're supposed to do. They didn't have enough boats, so they decide to have a big battle royale because it seems like the Shogun just wants to see a bunch of criminals kill each other. Um, that kind of weeds out most of them, and they're sent off. Now, the thing to keep them in check is that every single one of these criminals is given a handler, which is these people of this Yamada tribe. The Yamada tribe is... Pretty much a group of people that are all kind of raised to do different things that will advance mankind, which all require some sort of sacrifice of humans at the same time. Whether it's test out blades by cutting up people, uh, testing cures with pe people's bodies, or executing. Which this is what the Sagiri, who is, you know, handling him, was kind of set to do, was execute. So they have to go there with one of those Yamadas. If they find the elixir and come back... And they don't have their Yamada with them, they'll be killed. If uh, they step out of line any, at any point, the Yamada is supposed to execute them. And so that's the kind of dynamic they have. And once they get there, this uh, this place known as Paradise is weird. <laughs> it's very weird. All the bugs have, like, human features on them. And if they sting you, it, like, infects you. And there's these big, humongous fish people, monsters, and a bunch of titans-looking things. And... Yeah, and all the criminals, of course, are all betraying each other because they figure if they can kill all the other competition, they can, you know, be the sole person that can get the elixir and win. So that's kind of the setup so far. I'm going to assume Chris has not watched this. Nope. Big shock. <laughs> of course, this is the big shonen of the season, uh, aside from Demon Slayer, obviously, but another big MAPA project. So as per usual with MAPA projects, it looks gorgeous visually. Has a bunch of crazy animation in it. Uh, visually very pleasing. A lot of very great artistic style given to it. It's just per usual the MAPPA fare of just really good looking stuff. I, I will say, and this is not the fault of MAPPA, but really the mangaka. My biggest issue is that the show doesn't like to show you battles all the way through. <laughs> so like the, the in the first episode, there was a big pin pinnacle point in the fight and they just cut it to the end. The second episode, most of that was animated. I mean, they showed, like, the whole, the prisoners fighting each other and beating each other up. And then Gabi Madara ripping a bunch of people up. And then third episode, it went back to that, where you have this big guy with a bunch of weapons showing up to Gabi Madara. And they're fighting for a little bit. And then suddenly it cuts and the dude's out and Gabi Madara just standing on his corpse. And it's like, why aren't, why aren't you showing the fight? <laughs> and then he gets in a fight with Sagiri. And they're fighting for a little bit. And then it cuts to him winning against Sagiri. And it's like, but how did he win against her? Why don't you show this to me? It's in the manga too, which blows my mind. I don't, I don't, I don't I know what the appeal is, what the artistic choice is to not show fights, um, unless there's something happening that the characters aren't talking about afterwards. That's really crazy that happens. That aside, like I said, it, it's 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 visually really amazing, um, and the artistical just just and the artistic choices they make for a lot of things, like portraying portraying Sagiri and the weight of all the killings that she's done on her and Gabimaru as well is really interesting because that's kind of the the thing that links the two of them. I think they've done really well in building up Gabimaru. He has a really solid driving force. Calling it already, uh, the wife's going to be dead. <laughs> I just have no doubt his wife is going to be dead by the time he gets back. But that's probably several volumes in the future um, because they have to do the Paradise 
island first. But um, I will say that Sagiri herself is sort of getting annoying at this point because she's she just has no confidence. And I know that that is something that's difficult to get over. But every now and then it seems like she has confidence and then she loses it again. And it just she's she's so back and forth. She's kind of getting annoying at this point. Again, it's it's a it's a significant character growth, but at the same time, it's not entertaining to watch, and it's kind of frustrating. But um, for the most part, it's just a excuse to have really gorgeous animation and crazy action scenes, and nothing so far outside of that has really surprised me. They even have this big twist, like within the first two episodes, where it's like suddenly, oh wow, I, I didn't really see that coming. But at the same time, I don't really have any significant attachment to anybody, so I don't really care. <laughs> It's like it's like having a death of a character within the first few minutes of the episode. It's like, well, I don't really know this character, so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be upset about this. But um, we'll see where it goes from here. So far, it's not done anything really super crazy, but at the same time, it's very visually pleasing. So that that's enough for a lot of people, for at least the shonen crowds. That's that's enough for most people. So that's uh, Hell's Paradise. Check that out if that's interesting to you. Heaven Delusion didn't. No. Oh, this is probably this is one of those ones where it's like I really love it, but I'm like I don't know that Chris is gonna like it. <laughs> uh, it hasn't done anything that would be offensive to Chris, uh, so I, I think it'd be okay. It's just a difficult one to get to because it's on Hulu. Shrug. Uh, yeah, Heavenly Delusion. This one is uh, the Japanese title is Tengoku Daimakyo. It's streaming on Disney slash Hulu. 13 episodes done by production IG, sources of manga, adventure, mystery, sci-fi. And this one pretty much takes two different perspectives. One is the this nursery where they have all these kids are being taken care of by these doctors and facility runners and everything. They have like this big wall around them so they don't even know there's an outside world. There's at some point, somebody even mentions the idea there is people that will come from the outside and they're like, the outside, like outside no the outside the outside <laughs> like their yard outside is they're considered outside that's, they, that's as far as they think existence is uh, that's how kind of secluded they are the other perspective is the outside outside <laughs> we have pretty much this view of the world itself which is pretty much destroyed um there's been this big collapse that happened and so everything's in ruins everybody's kind of fending for themselves and we follow kiroko who is currently uh, escorting Maru to a place that there is known as heaven. They don't know where this heaven is. They don't even know what heaven is referred to. They're just looking for heaven. She's supposed to take Maru there. And then you also find out later on there's something that Maru is supposed to do once he arrives there. Again, he just doesn't know what's going to happen. So they're traveling around this Tokyo and everywhere around Tokyo that's just kind of desolate looking for heaven. All the while being attacked by thugs or finding you know places of refuge that people have built or just being attacked by these things known as man-eaters, which are just these big monsters that consume people. Um, and that's kind of, like I said, the back and forth between them. In the nursery, you kind of get a perspective that, obviously, is this place something you can trust? <laughs> what are the doctors doing there? What is the point in them being there? You get a hint that each one of these children, at least some of them, seem to have some sort of different abilities. Like, really early on, you have this Mimihime starts mentioning that something's going to happen in the future. Like, these two people are going to arrive. At some point, she mentions, like, oh, this person fell. Something else is going to fall from the sky. She always kind of just gives these hints that there's something in the future that she can foresee. One of them <laughs> falls from really high... Like, what I mentioned earlier, one of them falls from a really high spot that Mimihime was talking about. It looks like he should have been dead, but he survives. So it's obvious that, you know, he doesn't take 
you know, impact as much as other people do, or he maybe heals faster. But um, that's the sense you're getting that each one of them have something special about them. So, yeah, thoughts so far. Really, 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 really love the show. <laughs> this is literally my number one show of the season, fighting with some other show we'll talk about later. Um, absolutely loving it. It's it's kind of the same feeling. Or my, my thoughts on this one is pretty much similar to Summertime Render, where it's one of those shows that each episode you watch, you just start thinking about a million things like, so what's this? Why is this the way it is? You're trying to connect the pieces together. There's this constant sense of intrigue and mystery about the world and what happened and what's going to happen that has you constantly guessing. And diving into every single one of those things is what makes it really special. I kind of mentioned with Summertime Render, similar to this one, is I didn't like the idea of even having to binge a show like this because they're like half the fun is trying to you know talk with other people and try to figure out what's going on there. And that pretty much becomes like almost more than the show itself. Now, the big thing that I noted with Summertime Render and I would have to kind of address here is, does it feel like it pays off? Because yes, plenty of shows create enough mystery and question marks, but don't pay off. Prime example I give is Sunny Boy. That show I didn't feel like when I was questioning things, it, it paid for it. It, you know, gave me a reward for doing that. It never felt like it ever answered any questions when I was trying to think that it was going to answer questions. This one does it. This one does make you feel like, oh, yeah, call that. Or, yeah, that kind of goes in line with what I was thinking. Or, yes, maybe it subverts my expectation and does something else. And I go, oh, cool. But I like this way better. I like I like what you did here despite it not being exactly what I thought you would do. That's what kind of sets us apart from most things. It's with those rare mystery type anime that really do get your gears running and try to figure out what exactly is going on on the surface. On top of that, visually beautiful. I think Production IG is doing a fantastic job of nailing the scenery, the, the apocalyptic setting, or the clean setting of the nursery, the, the visuals and the animation, the, the weird creatures, the man-eaters, all that kind of stuff, the, the perspective shots. It's just visually, it's absolutely gorgeous. Only really kind of relying on CGI once and that was with these cart racings and that was very brief and they did well enough to hide it everything else is just very beautifully animated i was kind of arguing really early on that i was more impressed with the animation on this one than a lot of other shows this season that most people would probably deem as being like the pinnacle of animation um it, it's hard to push it up against something like demon slayer i can sort of push it a little against hell's paradise but it's up there it's no matter depending on your taste of animation and your style this is way up there for me so I think it's absolutely gorgeous. And like I said, cannot wait to dive into it more. I'm super intrigued by it. And it's, like I said, it's, I, I think at this point, I th I'd probably say it's probably my number one of the season right now. So it, it could change. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> right now it is my number one. So yeah, Heavenly Delusion. Definitely, definitely a suggestion from me. Uh, let's get into some heart. The Dangers in My Heart or Boku no Kokoro no Yabai Yatsu. This one is streaming on High Dive, running for 12 episodes done by Shinny Animation based on a manga. It's a comedy romance slice of life being directed by Hiroaki Akagi, who did Teasing Master Takagi-san, and script and series composition by Juki Hanada, who did No Game No Life, Love Chinubio, Love Live, and Bloom Into You. Uh, and the original creator was Norio Sakurai, who did Mitsudomo Domo, Domoe. Mitsudomoe. Uh, but yeah, this one follows a guy named Kyotaro Ichikawa. And Ichikawa has sort of a secret 
he has very unpleasant thoughts all the time in school. He, he just his mind is in a very dark state, and he even himself recognizes the fact that he is his he's always constantly thinking of darkness and death and all this other kind of stuff. Even to the point where he even has one specific desire, and that is to see the death of Yamada, who is in his classroom. Yamada is like a very a very pretty, very tall girl in their, his class that's actually a model as well. And so, yes, he has this, man, she's so beautiful, I wonder what she would look like if she was dead. And so as he has these desires, eventually he ends up kind of, through chance encounter, regularly running into her in the library. The library is kind of his escape. Whenever it's lunch or whatever, he just kind of sneaks in there and just goes to his own thoughts. Well, now she's suddenly showing up in the library, and the reason she's doing that is because she's trying to sneak in snacks. This girl is a snacky. <laughs> she is a snacker. She And it's kind of dumb, but she you find out later on that she the reason why she's sneaking her snacking is, one, because it's not really allowed at school, but two, because she doesn't want to eat snacks in front of her friend who... Is allergic to snacks? Question mark. I don't know what that's about. Typically, it's an ingredient. Maybe there's a preservative in a lot of snacks. And anyways, she's hiding it. And <laughs> so you have all these encounters between Ichi Ichikawa and Yamada as they're running into each other at the library. Other people come by the library. Um, there's a lot of cases where something happens to Yamada outside of, or either in class or outside the library, and Ichikawa is. For some reason, he doesn't know why, driven to try to help her through the situation. So you have this whole thing where they had to do this presentation, and he thought that at some point Yamada was crying at her desk. And so when everybody looked out the window for something that was outside, he ends up distracting everybody because he's afraid that they'll see her crying. And again, he doesn't know why he's doing it. And that kind of progresses. You find out more about her, her insecurities about her job being a model, and she gets injured, and that kind of makes her upset about it and how he wants to kind of help her out with it. It's just kind of that whole aspect. So your thoughts on the dangers in my heart, my Kokoro. This one is a, uh, an interesting show. Um, I, I, re I do actually really like it. It's got a lot of heart. Um, eh, Yamada is, <laughs> Yamada is absolutely uh, just too much, too charming. Um, and I, most in the entire cast is fantastic. Um, my probably biggest beef is I'm, I don't much care for, uh, Ichika, Ichikawa's, um, perspective in a lot of cases. I, I do like that he is, um, over time he is basically finding different ways of, um, he's literally Nishikata. Come on. Uh, Yamada, man. <laughs> You're just yeah, waiting maybe. for him to say it. The way that he reacts to everything is like, it's, he's totally Nishikata. Um, he's, I don't, I, I, I wish I could put my finger on it. In, in a lot of cases, he, he's just dark. And I do appreciate the fact that he does find value in Yamada. And that, that he, he contrasts very, very well. Like Andrew had mentioned, the, the concept of, what he values in her versus whether what his his heart is really telling him um like like andrew was talking about um the idea that he keeps going out and helping her and he doesn't understand why he's doing it he, he I, him as a character he captures the awkwardness of um of youth very well um it, it so it, it is the, this kind of weird concept of 
I have a real hard time with Ichikawa, and, and that that is really the the probably the most frustrating thing about this show is I want to see him grow, um, but at the same time, it, it, is it just a um, Chunibyo type thing where he just has this weird, um, not sure what he thinks about life or or not, and eventually he grows out of it, um, but. That would take away from the idea of the show. But he does capture this idea of narc- – not a narcissist, but a sociopath, sociopath for, for a lack of a better term. He's goth. Mm-hmm. How many episodes did you get, by the way? Three. three? I stopped at three. And There's get, one more that well, I haven't watched. Yeah, I got the, got the hint that something was going to shift significantly at the end of three. And I feel I feel like four pretty much alleviate, would probably alleviate a lot of your problems. I, I feel like the show is kind of one of those very rare cases of it's like – we're not going to, you know, dabble too much. Like, we're not going to dither too much. We're going to really start to build into something. And I really feel like episode four compounded that. I It, it was <laughs> – this show is, like, one of those shows where I hate that I, I – I, I have to balance a lot of when I do my first impressions and when I do my uh, top list for so far the season because I don't want to wait too long for certain shows. Like, say, Hell's Paradise that's already on its fourth and um, into – but not too early when you have cases of some shows only airing a couple episodes. But even more so in the idea that sometimes – not all shows are trying to get to a turning point within three or – you know, two or three episodes. Right. They they all have their own pace they're going by. And this one I feel like three had me like, oh, we got something here. Hopefully we got something here. And then four said, yes, <laughs> this this writer is going to keep getting better and better and better. And I feel like that was one of those aspects. This is one of those shows where – Okay, first episode was okay. Second episode was cute. Third episode, ooh. Fourth episode, yes. <laughs> like we're getting better and better and better. Yeah, and the third I, episode was really, really solid. Yeah, I, the ending I, I of it just not. it had me. I, I, I was my heart. It's like it's this aspect of Yamada. It's like, well, a, a ball hit her in the face. Who cares? But it was like how much it hurt her and it made her struggle and made her feel like she was letting down the people around her was what kind of broke my heart. And then Ichikawa seeing it. The packets of uh, tissue. I yeah. what really, really kicked And then her dropping the thing that had a, the, the drawing on it. <laughs> it was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you see that there's kind of heart in there and there's obviously a relationship that's slowly building. And I, like I said, I like the fact that they're not, they're not just kind of fumbling their fingers for, you know, an entire core. And then you wonder, well, they won't they? It really does feel like, no, we're not kissing by episode four. I'm not saying anything like that. They might have. Um, <laughs> sort of. Did. Um, they're not kissing by the episode four, four or anything like that. Or, but it's at least showing a constant progression. You're seeing a constant progression of something being realized, and it's changing the characters. It's changing how they think. And, but that, it's, and that's it's honestly... And that's, that's what I was kind of trying to acknowledge was the fact that there is – it does seem like maybe Ichikawa is kind of growing out of it. Um, but like I said, it, it would go against the idea of the concept of the store or of the name of the show. I mean if the name of the show he, well, is, is him. It depends on what the dangers in his heart really is. Is it a danger of his dark nature or is it the dangers of falling in love? That might be. See, there's the subverting expectation thing. You don't you don't actually know what the actual thought is of the dangers of my heart. Now again, he could granted episode five could turn around and go, no. This is bad. I can't do this. I suddenly want to be mean again. Who knows? Never. He never was mean. He just always had these internal thoughts. But um, but no. What I was getting to is that what sucks is that I did my top five of the season so far, and it was in my honorable mentions. And 
I had Kamikatsu as five, and I was like, I was thinking of putting Danger to My Heart there instead. And when I watched four, and I'm already, I already record it, and then I was posting it that day, and I watched the the fourth episode. I'm like, damn it, <laughs> this need to be in four, possibly higher, or five, it could possibly even higher. I just, I'm I'm falling in love with this show, and it, it's interesting too because. Yamada, at first glance, I really didn't think I would care too much for her. She just seemed like she was too big. She's a little bit too, a little bit too weird. She kind of reminded me a lot of Inukai-san from Inukai-san's dog, just being like super dumb, dorky, goofy as she was eating her chips. Uh, I love that. I absolutely love her her goofy nature. But then, like over time, she's kind of grew on me. She's just a dork, and but at the same time, she's a dork that has feelings and 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 insecurities that she's facing. And I think you've seen a lot of that with her struggles after being hit with a ball it's like she did not want to let down everybody that was relying on her despite the fact that she even claims they they said don't worry about it she still feels like she's letting them down and then like going on from there seeing ichikawa constantly helping her with things at the same time being frustrated with how weird she is how she always likes to give him trash <laughs> and it's like <laughs> she always does it in the way that it's like she's doing him a favor so like she gets one of these little pop things she cut, she cuts off the top of it and says, oh, he's, he's thinking, oh, I'm going to share one of these things with a girl because they always come in pairs. No, she gives him the cap. And he's like, okay, he just kind of looks out the inside of the cap, and that was pretty much all he gets. And he kind of does the same thing later on. It's just super cute, these two characters and how they kind of – he's inner struggling with what he's feeling. At the same time, you, we're not really getting a sense of what she feels despite you know her struggles with getting injured. Um, but I, I, it kind of it's kind of one of those series where I'm kind of hoping that eventually we get a perspective of her – or at least get her to talk a little more to kind of show what exactly she's, what exactly she's feeling. What how I feel they're doing Yamada is it's almost like they're telling the story through her actions rather than her saying something that she feels. You're seeing that oh she came down there to lobby while he was ordering and cracked a couple jokes with him about ordering the same thing she is, but then she left. So she wasn't actually there to order. Oh, she just wanted to see Ichikawa. And you're like, oh, it's super sweet. <laughs> you know, you're seeing the two of them. And you're like, you two are so cute together. Just, just go. Um, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I love it. It's not a teasing girl show. Granted, her action does throw him off. It's not like she's actively teasing him. Um, but I think it does kind of fit into that realm of seeing this kind of comedic, cute little romance slowly, you know, being put together. But still having the reaction type of stuff you would get from a teasing girl type of show. So I'm loving to death. I cannot wait for more. Um, again, like I said, after the third episode, which gave me hope, the fourth episode really did nail it. Um, I It's kind of one of those shows where I, I say probably watch four, four episodes to get an idea if you're going to like it. Because like I said, the first two episodes were okay. Just not really selling me on it yet. It was the third and into the fourth episode that really started getting me going. This could be a gem. Like, this could literally be a gem. So, you just wait. Let me finish this podcast. I'm going to be catching up on the last episode. <laughs> I will watch the fourth episode. Um, I, I only put them on. Sorry, guy. That's all this. we're going to cover today because Chris <laughs> needs to watch some shows. Watch some shows. Um, but yeah, there you go. Speaking of more cute, cute little stuff here, we also have our next one, which is my clueless first friend. Which is another cute little romance spring. Well, I wouldn't call it romance yet. We're talking puppy love kind of stuff here. We're not getting too crazy. But yeah, my clue's first friend, or Jijo wo Shiranai Tinkosei ga Gui Gui Kuru. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll running for 13 episodes. Or was it High Dive? No, this is Crunchyroll, right? I think it was Crunchyroll. Um, I guess I can find out right now. 
I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, it's Crunchyroll. I don't want to send people to the wrong site, <laughs> but you can go to High Dive anyways. There's a lot of really great stuff on High Dive. But anyways, this one is by Studio Signpost. The source is a manga. The genres are comedy and slice of life. And this one opens up with a girl named Nishimura who is pretty much bullied by her class. Everybody calls her the Shinigami uh, because of her eyes, apparently, the way that she looks. It kind of creep people out. And thus, they all made her the punching bag of the school. If they if they want to make themselves feel good, they just punching bag Nishimura. Everything she touches, they claim that she curses so that if she touches a mop or something like that, it's pretty much become hers. Nobody touches it. Even the poor fish in the fish tank in the class, nobody touches because she fed them once. <laughs> so that's kind of the gist you're getting. Whenever she walks by kids, they'll yell barrier because they're putting up a barrier for her curse, um, really isolating her. And anybody that talks to her will get isolated as well because you got too close to her and you got cursed. So that all changes when a new boy shows up in their class named Takara. And Takara, unlike everybody else that avoids her or bullies her, is like, wait, what? She's a Shinigami? That's really cool. <laughs> so he immediately goes to her, wants to know more. She's like, if you talk to me, you know, everybody's going to make fun of you. But you're cool and everything. And she's like, well, don't don't touch me or anything like that. He's like, you'll, you'll get cursed. And he's like, that's cool. I want to get cursed. That sounds really cool. And so every what kind of turns from this is you're seeing Nishimura, the fact that she doesn't want Takuda to get bullied like she is, at the same time kind of appreciating the fact that she now has somebody to talk to. She used to always lie to her father when she's at home, claiming that she's doing fine at school. She's not being bullied. Um, she has friends. Now suddenly she can technically claim that she has a friend, and now she's actually having fun at school. Um, she, When she's separated with Takada for a little bit, she kind of realizes, wait, I haven't talked to anybody today. But that's normal, because normally I don't have anybody to talk to. You're seeing that she's enjoying that Takada is around her and that her life is changing. Well, on the other side, Takada is pretty much whenever somebody bullies Nishima, uh, Nishimura... He sort of blows it up in their face. And it's not that he's doing it in a he's way that is meticulous. At it. <laughs> yeah, he's not like clever. He's not super meticulous or planning it out. It's just that whenever somebody says something negative about Nishimura, he in his positive clueless nature will just kind of throw it back in people's faces. The example that I always give, and I think it's the best example in the whole show and my favorite scene of the whole show so far, is this moment that, again, Takara's being new here. This one kid comes up to him and says, hey – Takara, come hang out with us. And Takara's like, no, I'm going to walk home from with Nishimura. And Nishimura's like, no, just go with them. If you walk home with me, you'll get bullied. And then he, <laughs> the guy's like, come on, Takara, you can become part of the Scorpion Squad. And Takara's like, but why would I come with you? You're just normal. Nishimura is a grim reaper. And then this kid, Kitagawa, <laughs> goes, what are you talking about? Nishimura is normal just like me. And he's going, what? Nishimura, did you hear that? You're normal? <laughs> it completely blows up in her face because they all know it's a lie. They know Nishimura is not a Green Reaper. They know that she's not cursed. They just bully her and separate themselves from her. So the moment that you have somebody like Takara that is so clueless but yet so pure in the conversation, it doesn't make any sense because he's excited for everything they're saying about her. He likes that about her. So he accepts it and it completely fumbles into everybody else's faces and that like, wait – this ain't working. Like later on, she gets this cute little swimsuit and she wants to go the to the pool with them. I, I, and then somebody's like, like, Oh my gosh, Nishimura, you're not allowed to wear something cute like that. And then Takara's like, Hey, did you hear that Nishimura? He said you look cute in that. And he's like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> he just throws it in their faces. So purely. Um, it's great. Like I, I kind of coined it with my thumbnails. Like it's just destroying bullying with positivity. 
again, it's not that he enacts some master plan. He's just fascinated by what they're claiming, thinking it's true, but everybody else knows it's not true. And so it makes it difficult for them to ever kind of make Takata realize that you're not supposed to hang out with her. And it's just, it's, in its purest sense, it's super heartwarming in that regard. And I, I, am I reviewing it? You go. <laughs> uh, sorry, what's your thoughts on my clues for his friend? I freaking love this show. Um, it's the, I, a lot of the stuff that Andrew's pointing out, the, uh, the, the, the fact that Takada it just kind of dismantles a lot of their, their, um, their bullying in a lot of cases. Absolutely fantastic. They all say it's, barrier. Does that, they all know barriers? <laughs> I want to learn a barrier. My last school didn't, couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, so you want to learn a barrier for me? No, I would never put up a barrier for you. Oh, Takara, that's so sweet. You're it, my friend. I would never put up a barrier for you. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. I just want to know a, an advanced level spell. It, it, it's stuff like that that's just, it, it works so well. And, and I absolutely love the heartwarming nature of a lot of these characters. And each one of them, um, and and how they're they're slowly uh, coming around to Nishimura and, and not actually, finding that they're not as hateful towards her as they they originally assumed they were they just kind of by the nature of the pack mentality they all decided that nishimura was the one that they didn't like and now suddenly they're realizing that nishimura is not that bad of a person and well i haven't really seen them really accept her yet um unless yeah i think i watched the recent episode yeah I, I haven't really seen that they accepted her yet. It's just no, that they, they're not accepting. It blows they're up in their face and they walk away. Uh, that that was just one group that 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 just seems to be hard headed about it. Um, some of the other characters that are around uh, Takada are slowly accepting him, like Hino and Hino's and never disliked him. him uh, Nishimura. Hino was a friend of Takada's before. He's just the tank top boy. He's just weird. Um, he's never really Hino's never hated Nishimura. He pretty much he was packed with Takada. He was he Takeda transferred in. Right. Hino was already a part of the school, and Hino knew him, but he was a part of the school, right? But so they never implied been... Hino bullied or was against Nishimura. Okay, he's I... he's the clueless, goofy friend that just kind of pops up and says, "I like tank tops." Well, what are you going to write? Tank tops. <laughs> he just loves tank tops. <laughs> They're going to the pool. I'm going to wear a tank top. <laughs> But anyway, I I I, I like uh, the show. I think it's doing really fantastic. I do like a lot of the 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 paladin that they do in the a lot of, in the coloring. I I like the the character artwork. I think it's, it's a, a very unique style. Yeah. I always kind of coin it as being like uh, Gigino Kitaro kind of look to it. Yeah, but I I would admit I will admit I think my only negative for this show so far is not so much the style because I do appreciate it for being very unique. And I think it fits that very cute nature of the characters, very young nature of the characters. But I will say that it just doesn't feel like it's really doing much with animation-wise. There's so much they could probably do with expressions and characters themselves to make it look a lot better. It just feels like Signpost is just kind of keeping it very basic with the show, which is honestly, unfortunately, very common with some of these co- comedy slice-of-life type of shows. So, um, But yeah, I'm, I'm loving this show. Uh, I don't, I don't oversell it. I don't think this is doing anything incredible, and I don't think you're going to have, like, constant plot twists every single episode with it. It's just, like I said, in its very simplest sense, it is bullying happening and this positive nature coming in to kind of fix it. It doesn't sit in the bullying for too long. It is a presence, and it's a constant presence. I almost appreciate the fact that it's not a quick fix. You don't have – 
even with Kijigawa, even though he completely blew it up in his face in this idea of, you just said Nishimura is normal. They still kind of fuss and walk away. Um, they still don't like this aspect of Nishimura. And I, they haven't really come around to her yet, but I think that's what's going to be, in the end, as it goes along, I'm assuming it, that's going to be the nature of, they just, they're never going to win against Takeda, and they're eventually they're going to all realize, as a group, Takeda's fun. And Takeda's always hanging out with Nishimura. Let's have fun and hang out with Takeda, despite Nishimura, and eventually realize Nishimura is not this curse bestower that we all joke about. She's actually a normal person. Um, and I like how they're doing that so far. Like I said, but in the end, I think besides like this pretty heavy point at the end of the fourth episode, um, where you have this realization for Takeda, I don't necessarily think it's going to do anything really incredible. I am very curious as to what's going to happen in the fifth episode because of what happened at the end of the fourth episode. I really do feel like it's going to, it might possibly change the chemistry completely. But we'll see. <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of those ones where it's, it, this sucks to do it. I have impressions on this one. I really do feel like something's going to shift in episode five. Um, but it could just go back to the normal. Because I think at its core, Nishimura does appreciate Takada, even though Takada feels like he might be blowing up what she's, you know, what they're saying about her and his, uh, you know, his like for her because of the Grim, uh, Grim Reaper thing um, a little bit too much. Uh, but yeah, everything outside of that, I love. Uh, Nishimura obviously being voiced by uh, Konomi uh, Kahura, uh, Kohara, who of course is Roxy McGurdy. Uh, obviously sells her as a character for me. I love her soft voice. She's super cute. Um, I love seeing those insecurity moments, seeing how she always had to lie to her father. Her father finally having this moment where she's asking for something. <laughs> of course I'm going to get her something. She never asked for anything. Um, is super cute. The sister was great. The scene with the sister was fantastic. Him coming in there and saying... Yeah, I always hold her hand because she's going to curse me. And she's like, you don't say that about a girl. But Nishimura's like, but that's Takada. I don't, I'm not offended. That's that's a good thing that he says that. And in, in a sense, from Takada's perspective, that's a really sweet thing to say. Takada's a dork. And I, want, I always want to kind of come up there and say, good job, kid. But yeah, it doesn't dwell too much in the dark stuff, but it's, or the bullying and the heaviness of the, the bullying. But it, it does it enough that you get the point at the same time kind of correcting it with Takada. So... I really enjoy it. At the same time, I don't necessarily think it ever is going to do something really huge, even though it's had some really great moments. So, yeah, that's uh, my clueless first friend. Check that out if that's interesting to you. My home hero. <laughs> my home hero, which is streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, done by Tezuka Productions. The source is a manga. The genres are action, drama, thriller. Uh, this one is created by Naoki Yamakawa, who, of course, did I'm Standing on a Million Lives. And it follows a guy named Tetsuo Tasu, who we realize really quickly he's a mystery novel writer. Doesn't seem like he's doing too well. Gets a lot of criticisms for, let's say, copying other people's works and not being original enough himself. And it seems like that's true as we see him in a, in a cafe reading somebody else's uh, work and taking down notes. Uh, well, he's there at the cafe in order to meet with his daughter, Reka, who is going to university and has moved out. And he's kind of checking to see, you know, checking in on her and find out how she's doing. And she shows up with a mask and sunglasses and a hat. And he's like, what, did, did my daughter turn into an idol or a, a, a famous actor? And she's suddenly, he asks her to take it off. So she takes it off and she's got bruises on her face. She claims that she just had an accident, but it's obvious that her new boyfriend is smacking her around. And so he decides to, despite her not wanting to, go over to her place and check out this guy that 
possibly is beating her. He ends up seeing the guy outside the house, walking with his thug friends, talking about how he had to smack around his girlfriend a little bit. And as he's following, he ends up kind of getting caught by some guy that works for them. Uh, he got stripped naked in an alleyway and took a bunch of photos of him to use against him if he ever decided to do anything that he shouldn't. And then later on, he ends up bumping into the boyfriend as he is at Rekha's house. And overhears him talk about that he's trying to get the money from Rekha's grandmother, all of her inheritance and stuff, and then discard her, possibly break or kill her. So he's, you know, hoping that whoever he's talking to on the phone will come in and clean up after him. Because we find out this guy, that's the boyfriend of this daughter, is actually the son of the head of this certain mafia group. And so they just clean up whatever dumb messes he makes. He's kind of a nuisance, but again, the mob boss loves him and we'll kind of have him clean up after him. So yeah, uh, Tetsu in hearing this and nearly getting caught, uh, decides to lash out and kill the boyfriend. And then his wife walks in and together they decide they're going to cover it up because they just killed a Yakuza son or boss son. And they're going to get disposed too. So they have to cover it up. And so this kind of turns into this little cat and mouse game following this is they have to find out how to dispose of the body, cover up the fact that they did kill this mob boss's son. And while the mob itself is looking for Nabuto, if he's even alive or if he's dead, who killed him? And obviously the prime target being Reka or her parents. So it kind of turns into that whole thing. And the interesting aspect here is obviously the fact that because Tetsuo is so, like, into reading mystery and he's writing mystery, he does sort of have a lot of ideas about, you know, how to how to make a body decompose a lot quicker and all these things that you would normally get in a mystery murder type book about how to dispose of bodies or hide up bodies or cover up for yourself. So that's sort of the gist of my home hero. Don't mess with Papa Bear's daughter um, or you get the axe. That's pretty much the gist of it. Um, coming in this show, I'm assuming you didn't watch it. No. Coming in this show, I was not too thrilled because I'm not a fan of I'm Staying on a Million Lives. And I'm Staying on a Million Lives does some interesting things with the isekai-ass genre. But at the same time, when it got into like the, 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 the head of the main character, when it starts getting really twisted with the moralities and stuff later on, it, this writer dropped the ball for it. So I was kind of assuming the same thing with this one. But I don't necessarily think with my Homer Hero that it's the problem with the writer. My problems right now is not so much with the writer. It's with the studio and the team working on it. This, I, I mentioned it, in my, I was doing my tier list live stream and I, I mentioned, I threw it in way down low. And then later on somebody came in and said, wait, why is my home hero down so low? And I said, I don't think this story is a bad story. I think it's just a bad adaptation. This is possibly going to be a, a prime case of bad adaptation. And the reason I felt that early on, even with the first and second episodes, it felt like there was so many missed opportunities. Like, the act of him taking out the boyfriend was literally, he charges out of the closet after distracting him, and then it cuts to the wife walking in, and there's a body on the ground. And then it cuts back to show you how he killed him. And it's like, but you're, you're, you ruined the tension back here. And then plus, I don't see... I don't see any sort of Tetsuo going, but I'm going to kill somebody. Or Tetsuo thinking, but I just killed somebody. I made somebody stop breathing. This person before me is dead. Put aside, he's a terrible human being. I just 
ended somebody's life. And it never dwells on any of that. It's not until like the third or fourth episode that it even starts to have him think about that kind of stuff. And I know the writing's there because later on when he's being interrogated at some point, he starts to dread the fact that no matter what I say, I'm still dead. So what's the point of any of this? I feel like the writer does know how to write Tetsuo's inner conflict, but I feel like it's not being portrayed properly. And I'm hearing whispers here and there saying that this is a prime example of throwing a whole volume into two episodes and it's kind of ruining it. So I'm, I'm getting a, some peeps from people that are in the source material saying that this is rushing things. And it feels that way because I don't have any, I don't get to really sit and think about anything that's happening here or, or hear Tetsuo sit and think about this stuff. Time is progressing in these scenes and something really terrible happened, but I'm not hearing the character really think on any of it. And that's where I'm really struggling with the show. I think at its core, it's a cool concept. Don't mess with Papa Bear's daughter. You get the claws. You get the, you get the shotgun, everything. But I don't... It's there. The concept's interesting. The cat and mouse game's interesting. Tetsuo as a character is a very clever character. And it makes sense because, again, he's deep into mystery novels and stuff. He writes them himself. And he's probably going to write this one later. <laughs> I didn't kill the mob boss's son, but if I did, this is how I would do it. Um, that's his next book. Um, or just, it's probably going to be My Home Hero. It'll it'll end with him saying, I'm writing a new book. What is it called? My Home Hero. Um, but it feels like as it goes along, I'm missing things. It doesn't feel like a complete story. So it's kind of one of those ones where even early on, I'm going, I almost don't want to watch this. Because in the hopes that later on, I'll go back and I'll read it. Because I feel like... This is, again, a prime example of bad adaptation. But that's kind of my thoughts. Um, I don't want to get too much detail because, like I said, I think I think this is really one of those ones where I would just kind of shuffle people in that direction. Like like Spider So What? It's obviously that was a bad adaptation. Go go read the source material if you want to wa- uh, get into it. So, yeah. that That is that. The aristocrats' otherworldly adventures serving God who go too far. God, sorry, there is multiples of them. Was it like seven? Seven. Yeah, seven. Uh, this one is Tensei Kizoku no Isekai Boken Roku Jisho wo Shiranai Kami Gami no Shito. Streaming on Country Raw, running for 12 episodes, done by Studio Magic Bus and EMT Square. Magic Bus sounds like a children's publishing anyways uh source is a light novel genres are action fantasy romance this one opens up by with a guy that's going to a convenience store some dude with, that's really badly wants to stab some cute girls in kimonos comes rushing out of the convenience store he decides to jump between them get stabbed uh passes out and dies and then gets reincarnated into uh, the body of a boy named kine well it kind of suggests later on that he was reborn in that world it's just that his memories were blocked until he they were going to block his memories completely but he regained his memories by like age th- 2 or 3 he was very young when he regained his memories um but yeah he realized he's in a magical world gets really super excited wants to learn magic wants to learn about the outside world eventually learns magic is super overpowered uh goes to his baptism which at the age of 5 everybody gets baptized and that's when they get their blessing from the gods typically at most, you'll get one blessing for maybe one level. Uh, he ends up meeting all seven gods, and they all bestow upon him their blessings. So he gets all seven blessings. But even though the cap is at five, he gets at ten, everything. And the ability to hide his stats, because everybody's able to kind of bring up their status screen in front of each other, which is n- totally normal. Um, so he hides the fact that he's got, like, 
10 and everything, but he still shows that he got a lot of blessings and a massive amount of mana. But then he goes to, he gets a, some two uh, people to come and train him, and then he goes off and uh, to, oh yeah, he ends up running into a carriage with the princess and some baron's daughter, and then they want to marry him, and I, I don't know if there was an episode. The creator god wanted to give him 11, and, and but they... Yeah, they want to give him more because they're sort of implying this idea that in his future he's going to run into something really bad. And this might not be enough for him. And though he kind of insinuates that he's going to get older, which might be the only interesting thing about the show. Your thoughts before I get into that? <laughs> um, I, I'm, in, I'm in this kind of I'm, – I'm enjoying the show kind of area where I, I – there's, there's flaws in it. I mean it's the – it feels like – the the writing should be a lot more in his head and it is in his head a lot it, you're constantly getting kinds kind of background kind of on anything that he's wanting to think about he's he's constantly thinking um so th- there's there's this aspect of there sh- it feels like there should be more um to any situation where he he should he's he it feels like he would be considering a lot of this stuff a lot more than he actually does um, and this, this is one of those shows where everything's handed to this character on a silver platter. I mean, he's literally going to his, uh, debut and he, he picks up two princesses just because I, I mean, why not? He's got, he's got a, um, a, a couple of, um, tutors and their, uh, harem member one and two and, and for for his 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 group he's his his big sister is is harem number actually is his sis, big sister is harem number one um so far he's got five harem members uh but yeah everything is handed to this kid Six. on a silver platter you're, you're not gonna count the maid the maid oh yeah i guess the maid could be a, <sighs> one too i, I <laughs> probably mom mom probably too um, everybody's doting on this kid. That guy that he beat up in the Adventure Guild. And probably. Oh, the Adventure Guild tenant. Cute dog girl. Was she a cat girl? It was a dog oh, girl. Oh, yeah. She's, she's adorable. She's super cute. Um, so yeah, everything's handed to this kid on a silver platter. He's got a, he's, he's got this really, really hard thing that he's got to deal with in the, in the future. And none of his harem members are going to be a part of that. I'm sure. Um, he's definitely not going to win through the power of love. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as it stands right now, I'm enjoying it. it it's 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 fun show. It's just a box standard isekai by the books. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I don't really have anything positive to say about the show. I, I only got through my first impressions video by basically making fun of it about this guy that wants to stab cute girls in kimonos. And he teleports and gets stabbed. And then he gets – when he wakes up in the new world or when he gains his memory technically, he immediately looks over to the mirror. And the thing that he's shocked by is who is this boy? Not the fact that he's in this room and not the fact that there's this mom here and the maid there. He's just shocked by who is this guy. Um, I, I kind of chuckled at the fact that the sister had a – because they can show each other the stat screens. His sister had the stat or the title of kind Dodor or something like that, Dodor of Kine. Um But yeah, it's it's way too by the books. He goes there. He gets OP. He gets all the abilities. He goes off. Um, gets the trainers, always have to have the trainers. He kills a dragon, always got to kill a dragon early on in life. Um, he creates OP, like, national treasures items for this these two trainers of him because, oh, shrug, I could just do that. Boop, there it is. Um, really quickly getting not only a baroness daughter to be in, madly in love with him just by killing a couple of orcs, but the princess of the kingdom itself, and the king's, like, perfectly fine with just 
wedding off her daughter to just this random guy that just happened to kill a orc, which totally kings do that, just wet off their daughter because he's super OP and he needs to keep him in the kingdom. It just, it feels, it's so, it feels so by the numbers, by the check marks and so bog standard that it's, it's just, I feel like I'm watching the same thing I've watched before. It's not doing anything different to say, oh, but at least this thing. Like I said earlier, the only thing that I've seen so far that is the, oh, but this thing, which I'm fine, I'm fine with watching a lot of standard set guys. I just have to have that one thing that makes it different. The only thing it's doing is in the OP, which is might not even be something it's going to actually do, which is have it be a full life uh, isekai where he's going to grow up and have to fight something really difficult. But that could be in the source material way in the future. Maybe they just decide to throw it in the LP just to kind of give somebody something. Like they're going, man, this is super standard and it's going to be super standard for 12 episodes. Well, how do we get people to be interested? Throw something really cool later in the, the series into the OP. Maybe people think it's actually going to be in the, in the, in the show. Uh, but so far, it's Super Shrug. It is it's a Super Shrug show. The visuals is okay. The animation's wonky and blah at times, but it's got a unique style to it, which is going to be a hit and miss for some people. But there is, I am kind of curious. Maybe maybe it can shock me in saying that your my preconceived notions on it, my assumptions are wrong. Maybe the two girls he saved in his previous life decided to jump in front of a car, and those, so they're the princess and the baroness' daughter. Because they, they're, it's kind of odd that they had two girls that he saved in his previous life that are crying before him, and now suddenly there's these two girls, and they even show the same shot where they're, he's like, oh well, these girls, no, it was the sister and somebody else that he said, oh, I'm not gonna let girls cry in this world uh, because he nearly died um, saving his sister. Well, and some it, other it's girl. it's it's more more along the lines for me. It, it, it's I want to see him not necessarily struggle um, because I mean that's why I kept men- mentioning the fact that it, it, everything's handed to him on a silver platter. I want to see him fight for something in in in, in a weird way. Uh, I want him to develop himself. And, and as it stands right now, it's it's pretty much um, it, he got has two trainers, and both of the trainers, I mean, barely five seconds into meeting him, are like, "I have I can't teach this kid anymore. He, he's already he already mastered everything." Well, okay, so what what does he what does he have to gain in any way anything? They showed uh, him the outside world. Yeah, they showed they him the outside the world. <laughs> yeah, they talked the dad into it. And then they got beat up by some guy in the Venture Guild and he had to save him. I don't know. It's like I said, if you're if you're looking just for something to just throw on, I guess if it but I, I can't I can't sell this to anybody just because I don't see anything different here. So if you want a box standard you said I go after it. No it's it's fine that people enjoy it. That's that's perfectly fine. I just I don't see any purpose in it personally. Moving on, let's jump into that's the wrong screen. Let's jump into that's still the wrong screen. Am I just gonna grab every wrong screen except the one I want? The Yama- <laughs> let's move on to my my love story with Yamada at level nine 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 nine. No, it's just nine nine nine. Uh, Yamada Kun to level nine 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 no koi wo suru. This one opens up with a girl named Akane Kino Shita, who at the opening we find out that her boyfriend. Which they didn't really ever say, I don't think, how long she's been with him. Her boyfriend's breaking up with her. Uh, even, uh, he apparently found some girl on this online game that even Akane started playing just to kind of hang out with him. He met some girl on this online game and he really likes her and she confessed that she likes him. So he's going to break up with Akane and start being with her. And this obviously kind of shocks Akane. She's 
she was expecting it because he's been cold lately, but at the same time, it's still obviously a shock to her because most of her day and her routine and her schedule is kind of around being with him. And like I said, she started playing a stupid game just to hang out with him. Um, so she's a little bit distraught by it. At some point, she finds out they're going to have this big event for the game in real life where everybody gathers together and, you know, do like a meet and greet. There's like a code you can get if you show up for the game itself. So she's like, I'm going to show up there looking as beautiful as possible and I'm going to show him what he lost because he's obviously going to be there with the girl that he met from the game. So he goes there or she goes there and ends up spotting him for a minute, but then kind of stumbles upon herself and, you know, falls on the ground. And this guy, which she met in the game the previous day, um, Yamada, ends up catching her. And he's, like, super hot, obviously, because you got to be super hot. He's super hot. And <laughs> the boy, the ex-boyfriend immediately recognized him as Yamada, this, this pro gamer. Like, he plays this game that they play on the side, but he's actually, like, an FPS, like, pro gamer. Uh, immediately recognized him. And so it kind of goes, okay, so my ex-boyfriend, like, he, he idolized this Yamada guy. So I'm going to act like... He's my boyfriend. So she runs up to his side and says, oh, yeah, we're here together. And Yamada's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'll give you the code if you just act like you're my boyfriend. And so he's like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, she's my girlfriend. And that crushes the guy. But it doesn't it doesn't really kind of help Akane at all. Because she realizes afterwards that she's like, but I gained nothing from that. I, I'm still technically broken up with. And so she just divulges all of her insecurities and sadness to Yamada at the bar later. And he's kind of just like, can I go home? <laughs> but he still kind of sticks with her as she's kind of sobbing over this whole situation. Even goes and gets her a bandage to help her knee. And what kind of follows this is that she gets dead drunk. And not wanting to kind of leave her there, he decides to take her back to his place and let her sleep there while he plays his games. And then she wakes up and realizes that she's like basically threw up in his room and got everything messy. And that he, he had to pretty much deal with her. So she's kind of super apologetic of that. What kind of follows this is like these... These chance encounters between the two of them as she kind of finds herself kind of logging into the game every now and then, running into Yamada in the game or running into him in real life, uh, going to meetings together with the guild they were in together, and kind of meeting people outside of her relationship with her ex-boyfriend. So, your thoughts on Yamada, my love story with Yamada at level 999999999? I'm still trying to figure out what the 999 thing is. I don't think he's actually level 999. It could be, I guess. He is like super, like crazy gamer. I um, I'm I'm kind of mixed on this show. I I think that Yamada is kind of he he's socially awkward, um, and so he tends to be kind of weird around uh, Akane. And I think that. In a lot of ways, the charm of this show really does come out of Akane's moving on from her past relationship, which is, I guess, in a way, kind of the um, gist of this sh this this show. Um, her the, a breakup is never easy to deal with. You 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 kind of have this this back and forth between. I want to go back to this old life and the, the, the chains that bind you are no longer there. And so you feel like you should move forward, but you keep going back to what you're comfortable with. And that, that blocking of the what's comfortable makes things really, really difficult to deal with. 
And so I think that in in some ways this this show kind of captures that, but it doesn't do it the right uh, a a lot of justice to it. Um, and maybe that's more because it's trying not to dwell in that that depressive state of um, wanting to go back to that old old lifestyle and and all that. But it do, it just doesn't doesn't capture it well, and and I it's it's kind of frustrating in a lot of ways. But other than that, I, I do like the the um, the showing of the possible new life that you can move into and and still keep things some parts of your old life and and going into the new life. Um, so a lot of that stuff is in there. Um, Akane is her her kind of silly nature is sweet in some respects. Um, uh, Yamada. I, I'm mixed on Yamada. I really am. I he his socially awkward aspect to his his personality is, I think, does well. But at the same time, it does lead a lot of frustration when it comes to co- communication because in, in a lot of cases, you you really don't know what his uh, true. Um, drive is in a lot of cases um he's play just games yeah he, he just wants to, to play, play games. games um so he he's he acts like he's interested in akane but he's not really she he, he does he seems like maybe he's put off by her but at the same time he's showing a lot more leeway to her than he probably should so all all said and done I, I, I want to fill out a little bit more. I, I I just haven't gotten anything that I really want out of this show as it stands right now. I think I'm on the same boat as where I'm, I don't... I'm so mixed on this show because the earlier episodes, which is like completely contrast to what you were saying, I feel like the, the beginning episodes was just kind of really just me getting over Akane herself. Is I, And the fact that I didn't like her in the first episode at all, like she just felt like... She feels like so not Japanese in the idea that she wanted to divulge everything she's dealing with to every stranger she ran into. Like, just telling them everything she's going through. And it's like, you just met Yamada, and you're just basically piling on every insecurity and issue you're having with your ex-boyfriend. And it's like, he just wants to leave, let the guy leave. And so I kind of felt like a, a real struggle with her as a character early on just for her... Yes, understandably, pouty nature to somebody that doesn't is not involved. Uh, through Yamada when he was in the game, just telling him everything, and he's just like, okay. And then in real life, just spouting everything at him and about how it didn't work out with her whole plan to make him jealous. And he's like, okay. And then <laughs> it kind of compounded more in the idea that when she's asking why this hot guy, Yamada, doesn't have a girlfriend, she's like, "You're it's a waste. And it's like, maybe because he just doesn't care to get in relationships. It's not, it, that's not a bad thing. Um, and, and I like that at least at the very end she acknowledges, yeah, I guess it's a good thing because it's not like having relationships is all, you know, <laughs> it's not all rainbows. Like, obviously she's going through a big issue right now because she got into a relationship. Um, so anyways, that gets to the idea that I, I was really kind of not liking Akane's character for like the first two episodes. And I felt like it did, it did kind of set in the aspect of her constantly whining about the fact that her boyfriend broke up with her. When honestly, we never got an indication of how long she was even with him. I would assume at least a year because they were playing a game together and she was maxing out her character and everything like that. And they were, 
at least being together with that whole situation, but it never gave a sense of how long she was. Even though her friend kind of insinuates that she's, you know, pretty much planned her entire life around it, never really gave us an indication of what that really felt like. So that became the focus for quite a bit of what we're giving impression on is her being stuck on that, which is fine and understandable. It's hard to get over those kind of things. At the same time, it's not entertaining to watch at the same time. My more hope or my more interest started coming later on when you start to see her sort of kind of shed away from that. I still kind of, she started to grow on me. I didn't like her personality and I kind of want to see her as she finds her, finds herself kind of slipping into the game. I like this one moment where she goes on a group date with her friend and she just didn't want to be there. And then she goes back home and she immediately logs in the game. And she's like, I can't believe I just realized, she just realized at that moment, like I decided to play a game rather than have an social grouping. <laughs> like she's changed. And it, it's sort of kind of hinting at it being a good thing because she's finding social interactions with that. She she likes this guild leader that's super positive that pretty much helped her kind of pull back into a sense of, of positivity. But I will agree with Bob or I will agree with Chris is that I don't necessarily I don't have a sense of Yamada. He makes sense because he's a gamer and he just wants to focus on that. He's a programmer. He's obviously has to dedicate a lot of his time into his FPSs to be a programmer. But I don't know why him and Akane. Like, I get Akane liking Yamada because he was there at a vulnerable time for her, which is technically a bad thing. Um, he was there for her. He listened to her. He showed kindness. He's obviously handsome. She has an interest there. But what what does Yamada see in Akane is going to be the big question mark going forward, and I'm kind of curious about that. Is it going to be that he shows her or is it going to be that she shows him that you can be social outside the game and have fun? Maybe he hasn't had that a good experience outside of games interacting with people. Maybe she can show that. It's obvious that he's comfortable with it because he's going to the gathering. If he's not comfortable with socializing, he would not go to the gathering of the guild because, again, the guild, the the game that they're playing, Forest of Savior, which is an, is the like the RPG MMO, he's doing it as a side thing. Like it's not his focus. His focus is his FPSs and stuff. So I'll be curious as to when they kind of show. What does Akane offer him that he's interested in? Because currently it's just a one-sided uh, romance and she's just chasing after him. So I'll be interested to see how their relationship develops. And I do like the the tying with the MMOs. I loved Recovering MMO Junkie. And I get the same, a similar sense of it with this one. Even though Recovering MMO Junkie, the main girl, was like obsessed with the game. <laughs> it's kind of the reverse almost. Um, so I'll see how that kind of relationship builds. Um, I, I'm, I haven't seen the episode where they actually have the the guild meeting. It's just when they first got there. So I'll be interested to see how their dynamics are together in real life. But, um, so far it's fine, but again, I'm kind of mixed on it. I'm very mixed on it. Cause I just not, I'm not really sold on the romance of the show. So that's my love story with Yamada at level nine, 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 Alice gear. I just expansion. I watched like not even an episode of it. Did you watch it? No, it was, it's like, the main girl's like super thirsty for this other girl. Um, she knows bleeds a lot, but I, I, it wasn't jiving with me, so I didn't watch it. Smartphone season two. Did you, did you bother it's, going to season two? They're, they're, they're adding more harem members. Interesting. <laughs> Does he still have a smartphone? Yes, he still has. Oh, there you go. Well, didn't lose a smartphone. He hasn't used it yet. He didn't use it the entire second season. So far, no. Are okay. they, are they renaming it to In Another World with my harem rather than I'm my guessing. smartphone? I'm guessing. Okay. Or my harem on a smartphone. It could be that too. Kuma, 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 bear punch. Freaking adorable. 
Love did, that show. Did, did you? Are you still continuing that one? That that's where I think she, I still haven't established if she's actually trapped in the other world or not. I'm assuming <laughs> she is. Uh, I, I think from the first episode's idea in the first season, it was like the sense of okay, she's a day trader. She gets up, she she does day trading, and then she goes back and she's on the VR game. But then at some point, it made it feel like she's stuck there because she sleeps there and everything. Um, but yeah, this is this girl that question mark gets Isekai into a, a game. Um, she gets like a really OP like bear armor and stuff like that. So she's got like this whole bear costume with bear gloves and these two bear uh, companions that beat up everything. She's got the Kuma bear punch. Uh, she's super OP. And then she... She really likes child labor. <laughs> I'm getting a sense of that in season two, too. I'm like, this girl really likes child labor. Um, but yeah, she like she ends up meeting this one girl who uh, she kind of helps her tear apart monsters and get all the resources from them. So she ends up hiring that cute little girl to do that stuff for her whenever she comes back. Um, and we get into... In the season two, we pretty much have kind of gone through this whole scenario where she's helping the Shia girl with her kind of adventure exam so she goes there with them and everybody thinks that she's super weak and they were disappointed that they got assigned a girl in a bear costume because that's like the gist of everybody everybody that sees her immediately discounts her because she's got some goofy cute little bear outfit and so they can't imagine her being strong but then she always ends up showing them up um and then they got into the orphanage and setting up this restaurant and stuff like that and this girl wanting to um do embroidery and make aprons and stuff so your thoughts on on season two I said that it's it's really cute. There you go. That's I, 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 it. Just continues the the cuteness. That's all it really does. Yeah, I, I kind of admit this before, but I, I kind of equate this a lot with um, I admit, I oped myself in defenses because I don't want to get hurt. Uh, Shield girl, Mashu Mashu Isekai, cute girl. Well, it's not that one's not Isekai either. They're playing a game. Um, I never got into the shield the the, the defense girl. Uh, Bofuri. I'd never cared for it. Even the season two, it just never really kind of clicked with me. It just feels like it's just, okay, they go out, they blow up stuff, and they get more skills. They go out, and they blow up stuff, they get more skills. This one works so much more for me, and I think that's just because I like Yuna as a character. She has a little bit more dynamics in her character. Um, she's very self-driven. She exploits a lot of things. At the same time, she's always, always paying attention to those around her and trying to help people around her. She's not full of herself. She acknowledges that how ridiculous she is in her bear costume, but accepts it because it's just a part of her now, so she has to use it. Um, but I, I think it kind of does a little better with a lot of the side characters and their insecurities and things they de- they deal with. With Shia and her going with that whole group of up-and-coming adventurers, and they the fact that they just hate the fact that Yuna's with them. But then eventually having that moment where Yuna kind of shines and shows them they're, you know, not to judge a book by its cover. But even still, at the same time, the fact that she kind of acknowledges what each and one, every single one of those students kind of, what what makes them special in some way, because she has to kind of give a report at the end why each one of them is really good at what they do. One of the one of the girls was really observant because she figured out what was going on with Yuna. She knew that Yuna was a friend of Shio, even though they weren't supposed to know that. Um, each one of them has their own talents they can provide. But like I said, it does a little better than what I think what Bafodi does with the side characters and seeing how they're growing, and how Yuna is helping people around her. So it's it's a cute girl being OP, which I think, admittedly, does a lot better for me. <laughs> like, well, when we it, just talked about aristocrats being super generic isekai with OP main character, 
yes, technically things like Bofuri and Kuma 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 Bear does a little better because it's cute girls instead, but it's cute girls with heart and actual character developments with characters around Yuna. Now, granted, because there's so many characters around Yuna, it's hard for them to really focus on any of them more than maybe giving them an, a single episode. So there's a little bit of a downer there, but at least they have them that be recurring characters every now and then and, and grow a little bit more with Yuna as she builds her massive, uh, cute little girl's uh, sweatshop that she's creating, apparently. One, one, one thing that, uh, compounding on what Andrew is saying, is that this, this show does have a lot more of um, her just uh, interacting with a lot of the other characters. Where Bofuri, its biggest weakness is that it doesn't try. It just goes for absurd ability. We go out, do an adventure, and then random weird new skill that they get. And that's literally what Bofuri is doing. Is It's just everybody reacting to um, uh, Shield Chen uh, with her new weird ability, tentacle arm, or um, turning into a Dagum tank or whatever have you. It's it's more trying for the just goofiness of absurd whatever absurd skill that the writer can come up with, whereas this one is just more along the lines of as much heart as possible in each one of these situations. I, that's why I I mean when I when I say okay, well, what it how is season two doing? It's just more cute, and it really is. That's that's what this show does compared to both of you. We're calling Maple Shield Trend now. Shilchan. Yes. Maipuru. Maipuru. Shilchan. There's Kuma 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 Bear Punch. Oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about the show, but I kind of want to talk about the show. <laughs> I got a cheat skill in another world and became unrivaled in the real world too. Or Isekai de cheat skill wo te ni shita ore wa ginjitsu sekai wo mo muso suru level up wa jinsei wo kaita. Uh, what a title anyways this one's by uh, being streamed on Crunchyroll being done by Studio Millipenzi which is known for doing such amazing titles as Copcraft, Wake Up Girls Berserk the new series and TQ let that set in source is a light novel, genres are action adventure fantasy romance and the director is Shin Itagaki who of course is known for doing the new Berserk, Copcraft and to top it all off, wait for it. So my spider, so what? So you know the pedigree behind the series. And not... That's not it. One more thing, Chris. The creator is Miku. Known for such fascinating and epic titles as The Fruit of Evolution. They just keep on piling on. Anyways, this one follows a guy named Yuya Tenjo. And Yuya has been fat and ugly his whole life. His family was terrible to him. His parents mistreated him. His sister and brother were terrible to him. He went to school and people were terrible to him. And then he went to he got a job and people were terrible to him. And then one day he spots this hot girl being bullied in the middle of nowhere and intervenes and then gets his butt kicked. And then he goes home. And as he's struggling, he's he's kind of like one of those types that he's been through a lot, but he keeps moving forward. And the positive thing that's kind of been keeping him going forward is the fact that his grandfather 
treated him really well. His grandfather told him to, you know, just keep being positive. Ne- always, you know, whenever somebody's in danger, be kind to them. All those kind of things kept him going. You know, that something good is going to come of you in the future. Well, his grandfather passed away and bestowed upon him, or at least gave him his inheritance. Like, he wrote it to where his parents could not take what he was going to give Yuya as his inheritance. Wrote it perfectly so that Yuya got his home and everything that he owned. And so he's been living at this home that his grandfather left him. And at some point when he's kind of given up on everything, like he's like, this is the final straw. He got kicked. He, he was, you know, leaving for spring break, a bunch of people beat him up. So he missed his schedule for work. His work fired him. He goes home and he's done. He like breaks the mirror and gets all angry. And then he punches the wall next to the mirror and the door opens up, a door opens up. And he finds this room inside of the house that is just full of oddities. And he's like, well, grandfather used to travel a lot. So maybe he just brought a bunch of weird stuff home. And at some point he finds a door in the room and he opens it up and suddenly a bunch of prompts pop in front of him, claim that he got this skill of the, the, the ruler of the door or something like that. And he's inside of this room that's in the middle of this forest or inside this cabin, in the middle of this forest. And come to find out really quickly that this door in the house leads you to this other location. And this other location is owned by this, or was owned by the sage. And there's a note on the table that says, whoever comes across this note, you own this land. And then this, this land is kind of has this magical barrier on it that only the owner can actually enter this land. And so he's hanging out there, finds a bunch of OP weapons. Monsters try to attack the, ta- the house, but they can't get through the fence because it's got this barrier. He starts stabbing stuff through the fence. <laughs> Ends up getting a whole bunch of levels, and those levels, like, apply to him. So the next morning when he wakes up, his body completely changes into some hot, like, six-pack abs, skinny dude. And, um, oh, yeah, every time he goes to the door, he can actually change items to the the currency of Japan. And it kind of, like, it makes it to where the notes have, like, number systems to it so that nobody can, you know, claim that he's, you know, doing fraud. And yeah, he goes to school and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're hot again. Or you're hot now. And and everybody's shocked. And then the girl that he saved from the first episode is actually the president's daughter, the principal's daughter of this really prestigious school. So she invites him over to this school. Everybody's super nice to him because he's super hot. Uh, biker gangs attack and he saves everybody from the biker gangs because he's super hot and he's super strong. Uh, he goes to a mall and then runs into a, this this photographer that's doing a shoot for this model. So he's super hot. So he does the, the photo shoot with the super hot girl. Um, there's, he ends up hearing that there's this princess in the other world that's being attacked by a bunch of monsters and all of her guards are dead and he saves her. And so she decides to drag her guards back out in that deadly forest in order to find him because he's super hot and she wants to marry him. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, I got a cheat skill. What's your thoughts? Uh, so far I, I, I'm, I'm generally enjoying this. I, I, I kind of like, uh, Kirito as, as he goes from a really, really low point in his life to, pretty much uh getting uh everything handed to him i it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here um as they have pretty much set up a, a starting point to a um now this is your life now and what i want to see it's is it, very similar very similar to what i was saying with uh uh aristocrat the I want to see him actually struggle outside of just having everything handed to him. I want to see 
where they go. I think that they have done a fairly solid job of setting up this kind of fish out of water setup and giving him a a kind of a structure. I want to see what they're going to do with this. They're not they're not focusing on everything in the isekai world and they're not focusing on everything in the the real world. He's in this kind of in between area of things are happening to him in this world and things are happening to him in that world. And I want to see what they do now, now that the, everything is set up, what are you going to do? Um, it, and it will literally, uh, succeed or fall flat on its face based on what they decide to do because they're setting him up as a, a model in the real world. And they're setting him up with, um, a princess, which I'm assuming they're going to, uh, he's going to have to, that's going to get him involved in what's going on in the other world. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Big question for you. Do you see any indication that it will ever actually do anything? Do you see signs that it's like, Oh yeah, they're planning on doing something with this. I don't know. I literally, it is you literally watched, like a, three episodes. It, I'm wondering if in there you see anything. I, it literally has – to me, it has a solid setup. It's a groundwork for whatever the heck they want to do. Right now, no. If, if that's what you're asking, are they going to do something? I don't know. No, I'm not saying do you think they're going to. I'm just saying does it, do you see any indication that there is logic in the system that will lead to something interesting. My, my whole point is I, I made a video obviously uh, criticizing the show. It was mostly for jest. I don't really care if the show's good or not, and I don't care if people enjoy the show. I just had a I, – I got this point. It was at the point where the princess literally drags the guards out into a deadly forest to find a hot guy to say that she wants to marry him. Literally putting everybody in death because she wants to confess to this guy. And it's got it, – it got to a ridiculous point. And when I made my video of it, obviously there was like one or two people that were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you bashed the show. And it's like, do you blame me because I'm watching the show. I don't care that it exists. It doesn't offend me personally. But there is a point in which I go, this is kind of absurdly um, bad in a way because, yes, it's wish fulfillment. Let's be let's just be perfectly clear. This is a wish fulfillment show. This is Miku, the writer. The writer loves fat fixing isekai. This is their second work doing it. They love fixing fat and making characters hot because they got isekai. They like this concept that fat bullied person has a new leaf in life. They get to have they get. A better life. Not about fixing that. Not about them getting better themselves or bettering their environment. It's always let this isekai fix you and then get everything. It's never about personal gain. It's never about a character struggling to get better or bettering people around them. This writer just loves wish fulfillment. And that's fine. And I think this show is technically doing that. Everything's being handed to him and he's getting a better life. And I like that. I like the fact that you... You hurt for the dude early on. Being mistreated by his own family even so much so is, is, is a big massive hurt. But he's getting great things now. And you're happy for him. But at some point that wears off and you just suddenly realize I don't really I don't really feel for the guy anymore because he's got everything and he's constantly getting hot girls and they all love him because he's hot. And even going so far that he at this new school he goes to the principal and says the principal says do you like it here? And he goes yeah I like it here because everybody's nice to me. And it's like because you're hot now. Like if you were the if you were the chubby ugly guy that was earlier, everybody would look at you terribly. And yeah, that's me assuming. But I'm just I watching it. I kind of constantly wonder: Will there be a time where, say, he's at the new school, 
and then a chubby guy walks past him and somebody trips him. Is it going to make a statement about any of this? I don't think it is. My, that was my my question to you. Do you? I didn't see. I haven't seen anything throughout. Was it four or so episodes that indicates to me this writer wants to say something? And that was the criticism that I got from my video. You, the the obvious comparison. I heard it once in voice chat, but but you okay? You're okay with it over here with Mashuko. He got a new life and he's doing better and everything. He's got the same situation as as, as Rudius. No, because in Mashuko Tensei. There's a sign that there's a statement being made constantly. There's a growth happening. This one is overnight, bam, he's now perfect. I don't feel like it wants to say anything because it never acknowledges things. Besides maybe one point, he says, I'm afraid of eating this crepe because I might get fat again. And then people might not like me. Well, I don't even think he says that. He's just, he's afraid of getting fat again. It never really gets in his head about his insecurities. He just constantly thinks that everybody's going to think he's terrible because he's obviously not hot, but he is actually hot. So I, nothing my, – my whole point is that it, it, it just, just feels like a wish fulfillment, and I don't know – I don't – I'm struggling with if it will say anything, and I don't think it will because we're already four episodes in, and it hasn't really said a single thing besides him being super nice to his brother and sister, and they suddenly love him now. Uh, everybody loves him. And they, there, was a, there was a one thought that I had that – I wonder if it's a charisma. And somebody somebody actually went and checked the the, the screenshots and noted that it wasn't a charisma stat because my, my assumption was that there's a charisma stat. And he maxed that out, and suddenly that's why everybody thinks he's super hot, even though he looks like a generic protagonist character. Um, he is super hot, though. Let's not deny that. But I don't know. It's just it feels – at some point I got tired of it, and at some point it felt like absurd to the point where it was kind of frustrating. And not that I care, but at the same time, it's also just super generic wish fulfillment. Like it's over-the-top wish fulfillment to the point where it's just kind of – boring and sort of offensive in a sense because everything's solved by hot guy and it never wants to say anything about the fact that he doesn't realize that he's super hot and that's the only reason he has a great life now um other than that i love the female character designs i think they're super beautiful but this studio especially as we've seen with episode four can't handle animation whatsoever so Besides the fact that they have a lot of really beautiful uh, still shots of female characters, the show isn't good looking. And the CGI with him and his, you know, running around the fantasy world looks terrible. It's berserk. Um, berserk levels of animation here. So I don't, I think the four was a good sign that this show is probably going to go super downhill from here visually. Um, and I was expecting that because, like I said, like we had a fight scene in the fourth episode that literally reminded me of Soma Spire So What, the throne room scene. Where I just don't even know what's happening. I don't... Everybody suddenly is way far away from each other. And then suddenly they're right next to each other. And then these characters were next to each other. And then suddenly they're way far away from each other. And the perspective and the sense of depth is completely out, out the window. Again, same director. Uh, the director in the studio sucks. And besides, again, very beautiful still shots that pan around like crazy. It's not a, it's not a good looking show, so... At least this is probably one of their better looking shows out of everything else they've done because Copcraft and Berserk and everything went downhill real quick. Of course, Berserk was mostly all CGI, so they not like they could mess up the animation there. They just still did, though. Yeah. The princess really pissed you off, didn't it? No, she was the she was definitely the straw on the camel's back. It was, it, like I said, it was just constant because he's hot, because he's hot, because he's hot. And then it was like, oh, it's just, she's going to get everybody killed because he's hot. So... 
Uh, did I offend you too? I know I made no, I made a couple. I of don't really com- Were you one of the people in the comment sections that were yes, like, yeah, "I'm disappointed in you, Andrew"? I'm like, I, I "You're not my dad. Don't say disappointed in me." <laughs> Only my dad gets to say that he's disappointed in me. I don't care what y'all think. Um, yeah, wish fulfillment. If you want to watch Guy Be Super Hot, go watch go watch that show. So, Kizuna no Alale. Did you get? It? Did you watch Kizuna no Alale? You didn't? Nope. But it's an idol you, you show. Kinda, you kind of... Uh, <laughs> uh, Do I even have an outline for Kizuna no LLA? I, I don't know. I probably made like a title and that was it. But yeah, you this... Said, you said commercial does commercial stuff. And so I was like, eh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and let it go. There you go. Chris just covered the, the synopsis of it. Um, <laughs> no, it's basically this girl that's obsessed with Kizuna Ai. Kizuna Ai disappears at some point. Um, she goes to the school for for VTubers, and she talks in front of the the in CGI in front of everybody on live, and then she um, is trying to become just like Kizna. People, this this one girl Noelle criticizes her because she's she's having too much fun because Noelle is obviously the one that you have to take everything seriously. Uh, she meets Chris. Uh, Chris at some point kisses Miracle for some reason, and they start hanging out together. Um, she tries to find her own style, which is to praise Kizna, and then everybody likes her. And yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, and then they show Kizna music videos every episode once or twice. Yeah, like Chris joked, and it's literally what I told him. It's this is a advertisement for VTubers. I'm sure Miracle probably has a VTuber channel. I'm sure Chris has a VTuber channel. I'm sure Noelle has a VTuber channel. It's to push Kizna Eye and the other brands they're doing VTubers for. Or they're probably just trying to push Kizna Eye's VTuber channel. Probably the 15th person they have acting Kizna Eye because I think they've changed people like several times. I don't even know if it's even anywhere like it was originally with Kizna Eye. <laughs> um, obviously, for those who don't know, Kizna Eye was like one of the very first ever VTubers. Um, and she was super hugely popular. So yeah. Um, I don't, me personally, I'm not a, I, I've literally, I'm sick of VTubers at this point. So I've, I've gotten out of that sphere. I don't hate VTubers. I still think like Gargura is super cute. I love Pekora and all those other ones. I still love VTubers for existing it's just i don't care to look into them anymore i got tired of them and it's mainly around the aspect of the the chat really kind of manipulating the characters and really kind of messing with them and them feeding the chat to get super chats and stuff um and i feel like they're already kind of do it with this like the kiss when, when chris kissed miracle i'm immediately was like i wonder if somebody said in the chat they really want to see chris kiss miracle so they decided to have chris kiss miracle um yeah, it's just it's just an advertisement for these VTubers and the CGI. Whenever they do their live broadcasting, looks super clunky and super stiff. Their performances are terrible. Um, granted, they're like with miracles, she's learning to become one. So obviously, maybe they purposely make her performances not that great. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just I'm not really getting a sense of anything here besides it being an advertisement. In the end of every episode, they do like a Q and A where they start explaining things in the VTuber world and the industry and. They even had the third episode. They literally talked about where the, I think the company itself got its title from, and it was based on this NFT project. And so they went to this three minute 
conversation about what NFTs are and explaining what an NFT is and how it's super secure and that you should trust NFTs. And I'm like, can't wait to see their their Twitter handle or Twitter feed and see if they're selling NFTs because that's obvious what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, it just VTubers and NFT project, I guess. I don't know. It just it didn't work for me. Uh, super rough. And um, yeah. If you like Kizuna, I guess you might like it, but the, the, there isn't enough Kizuna in there if that's what you really like, so I can't really suggest it for that sake. That's Kizuna, no... Skip and Loafer, Skip to Loafer, which is on streaming on Crunchyroll, run for 12 episodes, done by Studio PA Works, the studio... I just did that. Uh, the source is the manga. Uh, the genres are comedy, romance, and slice of life. Series composition and directing by Kotomi Daiya, Dadai who did Natsumi's Book of Friends. So this one opens up with a girl named Mitsumi Iwakura, who is a country bumpkin moving to Tokyo in order to go to school. And she has her whole life planned ahead of her. She's going to go to school in Tokyo. She's going to then go to Tokyo U. She's going to study in law. She's going to become a valedictorian. She's going to go off to do like key solutions to fix rural depopulation. And then she's going to become the mayor of her hometown where she's going to improve their finances and everything. And then when she passes away, after she retires, they're going to spread her ashes across the, the Japanese sea. That's how much she has everything planned out. Um, so she immediately goes to this Tokyo school, has all planned out. It's going to be perfect. And then she gets lost trying to get to the school. Uh, she ends up being confronted by a guy named Sosuke Shima, who is pretty much the opposite of her. Knowing full well that she's late because he's late and he doesn't care, he decides to help her figure out how to get all the way to the school. And then along the way, he sort of – she suddenly, when they get to where they need to get to, um, or at least from the train, she just starts to sprint toward the school, not wanting to be late. And her like nature of wanting to get there on time kind of infects him, so he decides to run with her. They get to the school. Uh, she does her speech in front of the, the school because she's – got great great grades from where she transferred from um so she was you know given the task of doing a speech she memorized the whole thing and then she pukes <laughs> and so she's known as the puker her face first day of school she's known as the puker now um but she doesn't let that keep her down she decides to try to communicate with people uh, immediately gets shunned by the girl that's sitting behind her but then shima shows up the guy that helped her get there and he's in her class and so he immediately talks to her kind of brightens her up then suddenly this girl behind her starts to talk to her and she's like, oh, maybe he just broke the ice for her. Yeah, you know where that's going. <laughs> and so what kind of comes from this is you have these kind of, uh, obviously, Iwakura trying to, you know, enact her plans of getting good grades and everything. But at the same time, meeting different people around her. Um, obviously, learning that some people will use you in order to get closer to other people. Some people aren't what they think you think they are. It's just a lot of characters all kind of teaching Iwakura that obviously... Tokyo is much different than you're out in the sticks hometown where you came from, you country bumpkin. How people, again, will use each other. They have facades. They have, you know, masks that they put on. Uh, what their intentions are aren't always clear. That kind of stuff. And, yes, even those around her that have their own misconceptions of what other people are. Um, all kind of coming around Iwakura, who I think Shima puts it best in the idea that Iwakura sort of has a, 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 a an aura about her that makes people feel... Like they can unwind. Like she makes people feel uncomfortable or she makes people feel comfortable and able to kind of unwind. So that's how she kind of just everybody magnetizes around her. So your thoughts? This show, it, it, Andrew had mentioned earlier a um, 
uh, talking about um, animation and stuff like that. And the first one that popped up in my mind was this one because I remember that first – the first at least several minutes of just opening scene was just absolutely gorgeous on this show. I mean uh, right down to uh, her – Kick, uh, straightening her loafers on uh, when she was putting them on. It was it just absolutely gorgeous. This show, as far as a story is concerned, I, I Iwakura has an absolute charm about her. I absolutely love watching her interact with people from day from day to day as as it goes along in the story. Um, Andrew kind of brings up the fact that she came, came from a country, she's a country bumpkin and, and, and kind of, you get this impression of the separation between where she came from, where everybody, there's only like, I think she said something like 23 or 30 kids in her school. Eight. And, uh, you use everybody, you know, everybody when there's eight, you know, students. everybody. And, and, and the funny thing is at some point she call she, she's talking to her friend on the phone and she says, how do you, how did you end up being my friend? Um, and, and, and her friend says, I, I don't know. And, I hated and, you. She said, I actually, she, hated, I actually you. hated you. And it's, it's funny because I, I thinking back on things in, in the country type situation in, in those small schools, you, you don't have much of a choice. I mean, you, you, you end up, it's just like your, 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 uh, your family, you, you can hate each other, but in five, 20, 10 minutes, you realize that. You have no choice. You you have to move on with it because you can't live your entire life hating your 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 family. It, in some cases, other people are different. I I understand. Um, it's it's it, there's in a lot of cases, people have different aspects to them, and and in in a, a major city, I mean, you do have other options. If you don't, you don't care for that person, you can move on to, to be with another person and be their best friend. And that's one of the funny things about, uh, Iwakura is her coming from that, that background and coming into this situation. She doesn't understand the way that they interact with each other. I, 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 I love the fact that, um, one of Shima's first in, uh, uh, things that he noticed about her was her even though she's so down in making sure that everything is done the right way she took off her shoes and was running on the street with barefooted and it, and that that kind of struck uh shima in a different way and he didn't didn't really talk about it it didn't really go into his head about it but you you kind of see it in the scene where that that was kind of the thing that that drew him to her um, just that this is such an abnormal thing in the city and she's just doing it so carefreely. And that, that was something that he likes. He, he's, he strives for the carefree type lifestyle. And that's what she does, even though she's very, very strict and wants to get everything done by her, uh, everything planned out over the course of the next 60 years. Um, and each one of these characters, as they become part of the circle, they're all uh, noticing that as well. Um, at one point, Shima talking to another character, if you just let yourself go, you'll probably enjoy yourself a lot more. And so all these things are in there, and I absolutely love it. I think it's really well done. 
Yeah, I kind of felt like Shima just kind of felt that drive that she has kind of infecting him because it really is. It gives you a sense really early on that Shima just doesn't. He just goes by whims. They were even talking about the fact like you're 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 actually trying to get to school on time or whatever. It's like yeah, it, suddenly he has the desire to do something. So they immediately think, oh, so he's got a girlfriend because suddenly he cares about school. He's such a carefree type of person. Um, and I, I think the the more interesting thing about the show is I I do kind of sort of compare this to something like a Kevy Sailor uniform. I think that it's a lot more mature than a Kevy. Kevy is very more juvenile, very young characters. A Kevy is like super bubbly ganky uh very i wouldn't say she's she's super positivity whereas i think mitsumi is just mitsumi iwakura is just more super driven like she's super driven but equally kind of a clueless at times when it comes to there's obviously social norms that you would expect in somewhere like tokyo compared to out in the sticks and i think i again i think that's a, a huge aspect of iwakura's character that she's facing in this story and I think it's great in that she gives her own perspective in how she handles it. Not that she chooses to be clueless. Not that she fights it. She just kind of goes along with it in her own way. I think the the coolest moment was kind of what we brought up a minute ago or a little bit ago with um, uh, Iwakura's friend from school. She contacted her. What kind of transpired is, again, like I said, when they first went to class, Shima went to talk to Iwakura. And the girl behind Iwakura suddenly wanted to be Iwakura's friend. As the, the most beautiful girl in school points out, she wanted to be your friend because she wants to get the Shima. She's using you. You don't realize that. She's making fun of your dialect. She's using you. And then Ibakura's like, yeah, I, I get that. It makes sense because she was saying, don't listen to Shima. Shima's just giving you kind words because he's popular. And I like the fact that she goes, I wish I didn't know that. Because now I'm questioning I, uh, Igashira. Even though, yes, Igashira is obviously using her. But when she talks to her friend, what her friend points out is that, yes, I didn't like you at first. But then over time, we, we became friends, basically. She, Ibakura never knew that. <laughs> so it's almost like she chooses to not think about the fact that Igashira is using her. Instead, she goes with it. But I like that it still kind of plants a seed of doubt in her. And then when this other girl, uh, Kinomoto, shows up, she goes, That pin on your shirt, Ibakura. Is that a fashion statement? Iwakura immediately believed, wait, is she making fun of it? She didn't know. But then as you find out the next day, Kinamoto is wearing a pin in her shirt. She wasn't making fun of her. But it was a seed of doubt in Iwakura. And I think that's the overall what I love so much about the show. That is one example of all these characters who have their own insecurities, facades, their difficulties, and their, their misconceptions of other people. Getting into the nerd girl and the fact that the the prettiest girl in school is trying to talk to her. So she assumes that she's making fun of her. And eventually realizing, no, the prettiest girl in school is not what you think she is. There's a facade and a misconception that everybody has of each other. And it's so well encompassed by Iwakura in the middle who gives everybody this sense of feeling comfortable around her that she's able to draw them all in. And they're going to catfight. And they catfight like crazy. (laughs) But... They come together around Iwakura and eventually realize those facades or those misconceptions are wrong or unneeded. And I love how well it's doing that so far. This show is just like a a pool of chemistry and characters all being tested out and experimented on. And it's doing such a very beautiful and I would argue it doesn't get too heavy. 
This isn't a melodramatic show. So far, it could go total melodrama later. But it's doing the drama perfectly because it's just enough that it hits me, but not doing it too much that the characters feel unnatural. The characters feel natural. Their insecurities and everything feel supernatural. And I absolutely love it for that. I think it's my third favorite show of the season so far. And it's pushing up. It's literally pushing up for me. But I love it. Visually, I did not like the style at first. But I think the soft tone of it um, really does accent the nature of the characters and Iwakura and the st- and the way that so- the story is being told. And yes, it technically matches the manga very well. Um, even though it's PA works, PA works still going to do a lot of attention to detail, despite the fact that the style itself seems simple. Um, they're still putting a lot of that attention to detail in the show itself, which is par for the course for PA works. When I totally appreciate it. I think my only concern I have right now is that it's only 12 episodes and I really do. I hope that there's a solid story beat that it's going to get into. I'm not sure if that's going to be Shima and his past, which they've handed out very briefly and then kind of moved on from or what, but I hope it gets to a really solid story beat at the end of this, this core. Cause I'm sure the manga is still, you know, ongoing and everything. So I love it. Highly suggest it. It's just another one of those shows. that's like character writing one-on-one. If, if you want to see great characters, this is where you go to because they're just, they're fantastic and so well done. So, yeah, and uh, Iwakura is a dork. She's a dork. She's so excited because they go to a Starbucks. <laughs> Super excited because she gets to a Starbucks. Again, it's the whole country bumpkin gets to f- experience these normalities in, in this area for the first time, and she's super excited about it. Um, but yeah, just all, it also makes me really badly want to watch uh, a Kevi Staley uniform again because I absolutely love that show. All right, next we have Dr. Stone New World, streaming on Crunchyroll, being done by Studio TMS Entertainment, based on a manga. For those that are not familiar with Dr. Stone, essentially opens up with this guy, Senku, who's talking with his friend. He's His friend's about to go confess to the girl he loves, and then suddenly this light appears, and everybody in the world turns to stone. At least as far as we know, question mark. Anyway, everybody turns to stone, and then, like, like, like 3,000 years pass, and... Finally, one day, Senku, in his stone form, it finally breaks, and he's free from his stone form. And he pretty much, at that point, decides it took mankind long, 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 long time to get to the point they were at. And he desired one day to go to the moon. And so he's going to advance mankind faster than ever before, using all the knowledge that he has of science and everything in order to progress the evolution of mankind back to the point in which they were going to the stars. So he creates a method to remove the stone curse from people, you know, gathers up people, learns there's other tribes in the world itself that pretty much form post, uh, you know, the storm form being uh, created and just trying to advance mankind over time. And currently we're set to the point where they're trying to travel across the ocean itself. And so he's got to build a ship and have a captain and create foods that preserve for a long time and find oil because he wants to create gasoline and stuff. So, did you get into the new new world yet? No, not yet. Gaspa, Bubba. Um, I shoot. We're on what now? Season three now. So we did Stone, uh, Doctor Stone, Doctor Stone, Stone Wars, and then we had the movie Rusui where he meets the the captain for their ship, and then New World, which is the new season where they're trying to get a ship put together. I don't even know if they're ever going <laughs> to get on a ship. I mean, they technically did finally get on a ship, but it wasn't quite. I don't know if it's the, it's the ship they're supposed to be doing but yeah um as per usual 
it shouldn't work for me, but it always works for me. Um, I think it's always in like the aspect of Senku's nature is always like infectious to the viewer, at least for me, that I've always enjoyed watching the show. I think my only ever struggle that I've ever had with the series as a whole is I always feel like the side characters kind of have their their shtick and they stick with that shtick. Um, but they've done they've done pretty well in this season so far with like improving characters like Taiju and stuff, kind of showing his driving force and the idea that he's lost his parents, but now he wants to help other people regain their parents where he can't regain his parents. Um, getting into Rusui and his very greedy nature of wanting to pretty much capitalize on everything. He wants to own everything and have massive amount of money, but at the same time, his unwillingness to sort of turn a blind eye to those that are suffering. And again, like Senku's desire to kind of just keep evolving their technologies and trying to improve it and build it as they go along, just to kind of always have one goal set before them. And I think this season so far has been, it's almost, it almost feels as if the writer is has sort of kind of mastered their craft because obviously with everything, with every kind of series that's pretty complex with how it's kind of presenting a story and the mechanics within it, this one being obviously the idea of Senku creating stuff and showing the science within it while never kind of getting too bogged down with the science. Like it explains how something works and they put it together, but it never kind of gets too much into the weeds. Um, it's always done well in kind of presenting that aspect of present technology, do science, and then here's the end result. Next step. And I, I feel like they're he, the writer's getting even better and better at presenting that as it goes along because I think this season so far has been has felt very smooth in how it's done that. It still has its moments of suspense of disbelief where you're like, yeah, I don't think that's how it works. Or, yeah, you're kind of missing a couple steps in that process that still need this material that you don't really have. Um, my, the, the wildest one was definitely the cell phone they did in the, the last season. But it, it is that aspect of kind of suspending, suspending that disbelief, but at the same time enjoying the infectious nature of Senku and how much uh, the niceties and stuff that he brings to people around him. I mean, like I said, Rusui and his, yes, not unintentional, but his comment about how this one village, all they eat is fish and him making fun of it and wanting to pr- bring something else to them, which is the, these boars. And then I'm, breaking down in tears that they won't starve this season because they always have to feed off the fish because it's all they had. And then him desiring from that point, we need to create something that is constantly feeding the people, which is agriculture. And that gets into weed, uh, the wheats and stuff like that. And I, I just love how that very, something very insignificant that we have on a daily basis becomes something that changes a society completely. The idea of something simple as wheat creating something that will keep people living on longer and longer. Um, it does well in presenting that stuff. And I think they're doing a fantastic job in the season so far. Again, my only complaint is that it feels a little bit easy when it comes to like, oh, well, we need a chef. Well, over here, there's a, the chef over here that we know. <laughs> it seems very easy in how it finds people, but it's still good. Um, I kind of had a chuckle at the end of the recent episode and the idea that they get an SOS and he immediately assumes who it is, um, which was a little weird, but... It's still doing good. I still enjoy it. Again, I, I shouldn't like the show. It's 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 a style of show that I typically don't like, but it just works every single time. So I, I'm loving it so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Um, I guess we should hit the big one. Do you want to hit the big one? Sure. The big one. It's time for the big one, people. <laughs> Oshinoko, which is streaming on High Dive. Big still by High Dive. Uh, congratulations to High Dive. Um, but yeah, Oshinoko, which is running for 12 episodes, it's, it's technically had like a three and a half episode long first episode. So it's 
technically up there even higher in the length of episodes overall runtime anyways but yeah started off with a really long first episode which was pretty much like a movie opening up the story where we have it's gonna be very difficult i want to i want to skirt around some things here um because obviously i think the first episode is kind of one of those shows where you should just go into it completely blind so if you're listening to this and you like to go into shows blind definitely just go watch it and come back and listen to this but opens up with this i in this in this setting, we pretty much have Goro, who is this doctor, working in this remote town. And at some point, he discovered the wonders of this idol known as Ai. And how he found out about Ai was that one of his patients, who had this brain tumor, she was in love with Ai. Ai was what she wanted to become. She wanted to get better so that she can become a dancer and singer and become an idol. And Ai was her, like, her goal. And so when the girl passed away, that that hope and love for I kind of transferred onto him. As he kind of he explains it later on that he almost feels like he sees I as being the continuation of this girl's life. Like she died tragically, but she lives on in I. And so she kind of views the two of them the same. So he really does adore I. And at some point, as so happens, I shows up <laughs> at the clinic that he's working at uh, because she's pregnant. And they're trying to hide the fact that she's pregnant. That's why they came to this remote town. But yes, he knows who she is. And so he makes it a goal for her that he's going to help her have a healthy and successful pregnancy. Um, We get a sense really early on that Goro understands that idols are a lie. Like the industry itself is a lie. And they're all lies that are being told to the fan that know they're lies, but accept them because they want to be lied to. And so I even says it herself when she's talking to Goro and this idea that she knows that being an idol is a lie and she does her best to kind of live out that lie. At the same time, she also desires to have children because she desires to be a mother. And so she's deciding that she wants to kind of carry those two burdens with herself. And that's why he decides to help her out. Well, slight spoilers here. Again, I'm going to put the slight warning here. Eventually, Goro is killed and he wakes up as one of the children that I births. <laughs> so he becomes one of her children uh, along with this other girl. And because she has twins. And so now he's living as the child of I, as she's still trying to continue on her life, keeping it a secret that she had children, because if an idol has children, it's obviously career ending. It's just an unfortunate aspect of idols. Um, so she's keeping it a secret that she has children. Well, at the same time, Goro now as one of her children, Aqua, is pretty much rooting from her on the sidelines, pretty much. Um, you have some moments where something comes into play that could possibly affect I, and he sort of, as this child Aqua, is trying to figure out how to help I from the sideline, eventually showing him as he grows up, and I tries to move on into the acting careers, because obviously idols don't get paid well, so I is trying to move on into other avenues in order to support her children now, and how he kind of, again, is watching it from the sidelines, so... Yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on Oshinoko? It's gonna be a very difficult show to talk about. <laughs> it really is. Um, I only watched the first episode, so take that into consideration. I I am really excited about what happens after the first episode. I the the best way I put it to my brother when when he asked if I had watched it, and I said. This show is a beast. Nothing is held back in this show. I I am absolutely dumbfounded by how no holds barred they went with the first episode at least. And it has me 
pretty excited about what what they're going to do in the future um as to are they going to have that level of not 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 necessarily because i i definitely don't want it to be as harsh as they went in the sh- in the movie i just want to know um how truthful they're going to be about different aspects and i that is one of the things that i am most excited about is i want to see what they plan on doing as far as how how much into the nitty-gritty of the industry they're going to get um and so for that that matter i am extremely excited um i think that they have a lot of things that they can discuss in um there's a lot of things as far as how they balance life versus the industry that they could get into. I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff and having a perspective of somebody who was an outsider and now on the inside of the industry will add an interesting little twist to it. Um, so I, there is a lot of aspects that I do really enjoy about this, especially, um, between, uh, Goro and, and the other character that, that was involved in a lot of that, having that perspective involved in it as well. And plus them, them actually talking to each other would be an interesting tidbit to get into as well. So there's, there's so much stuff that is just encapsulated in this that I'm very excited about. And I highly suggest if you have not checked this out, I, I suggest doing it. Understand there is a dark element to it and, and take that into consideration before you jump in. Yeah, I think the the most important thing to really establish is that this is through and through pretty much the nastiness of the entertainment industry. This is the the goods and the bads and the the dark aspects of the industry itself and how it sort of brings people in, chews them up, and spits them out. Um, and I think that's the reason why going through the first episode and there was some some chirps here and there that the show kind of the the the, the first episode, which again is like the movie we want to say kind of caliber of the presentation of the first segment. And then it kind of does a big pivot after the first episode. And I think a lot of people were chirping about the fact that once it pivots, it goes downhill. I don't think that's really the case, or at least I didn't feel that was the case because what I kind of got presented in the first episode, I think some people may have missed is that this at its heart, at its core is about the entertainment industry. And that doesn't change the entire story even on into at this point, I'm at third episode, which is again technically, <laughs> let's let's be honest, it's literally like uh, five and a half episodes into the series. We're already halfway through the series at this point. Um, it's still that. It is still the industry and how nasty it can be, and how some people can become disenchanted by it, or some people can kind of grow to adapt to it. Um, I think Kana is a really good prime example of that in this recent episode, and the idea that it shows somebody who was. Not necessarily that she was destroyed by it, but she she got a reality check by the industry itself, and she learned to, through her own sheer will and determination, that she's going to rise up, um, fix her problems, fix her own mistakes, and grow to adapt to the industry itself. And I think it's a great character moment for her and her development, um, already kind of presenting her as being a really fantastic character going forward. Um, I do want to throw in another soft spoiler here because there is one key thing that I want to talk about. And that is the second child of I, which is Ruby, which again, Ruby and Aqua were, were twins. Um, very early on in the first episode, they established that 
Ruby is the girl that had the tumor. And that hit so freaking hard <laughs> that I want to talk about it. Um, Goro is an interesting perspective because Goro and Aqua and Ruby give two different perspectives here. I is the established um, popularity. She's an idol. She's doing very well. Her children, Aqua, is a perspective of somebody who was a sideline, who is still sort of a sideline even as Aqua, constantly absorbing and watching what's happening to I, watching what's happening to Ruby. Ruby is a perspective of somebody trying to follow in that same path that her mother is. So she wants to become an idol too. Now, she's an interesting perspective because she was on the sideline as well, but not by her own choice. She was sidelined because she was dying. And now she has the ability to finally do what she's always wanted to do. And that's a different perspective than Aqua and the idea that she wants to press forward and become just like her mother. Now, the, the, the why it hits so hard was that early on when she first starts to discover that she has the talent to be just like her mother and her mother's there with her, her mother notes really quickly, you move as if you know you're going to fall. Why? She doesn't understand why she does that. We know as the viewer why she does that because when she was sick, a fall was death. So she was always grabbing for something every time she walked around. She's always looking for something that she can grab if she loses her, her footing. And it just broke me because I see how determined she is to be just like her mother. Staring her mother in the face, she wants so badly to be just like her. And I, I love it for that. Every character sort of has a different perspective in the industry itself. And it's good to see that. Again, Aqua technically, as he's watching his mother become an actress, he's seeing from the sideline with the director explaining it to him that what her mother's doing is probably not going to work out because the this company just wants to highlight their members. And that's where we get into all the politics and stuff that I think is is so ingrained in the series. I I truly think this writer knows the industry. Because everything they talk about is stuff that I've seen in the industry. How the fact that idols don't get paid very well. They're not they're not rolling the dough. All that money goes to everybody involved and barely any of it to the idol. Which I didn't care at first, but now that she has children, she now cares. So she wants to get into industries. And how difficult it is to break out of that industry. How she's basically betraying everybody behind her. And then as she goes into being acting, it's a whole different game. And everybody that she's involved with in production has their own goals. It's a very political system in the idea that everybody's out for their own monetary benefit. So when she acts perfect, like she, they said she was too cute in this movie, they had to cut her out of it because she outshined the people they wanted to be in the forefront. They wanted their actors and actresses to be in the forefront. It's a nasty industry and they're doing so well at portraying all of it. And I think that is due in part by who we're talking about here, which I'm surprised we haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> Aka Akazaka, who is the writer for this series, Kage-sama Love is War is what they did previously. Now they're doing nothing but writing. They're not doing art. And this writer is so good. I knew in, in Kage-sama Love is War, and it's unfortunate that when he was doing that project, he had to do the art too, so he probably would could have done even better. And it, sh it shows with this series is because this writer is so good at characters so good at this industry and so good at showing you the good things, but a lot of the nasty things of the industry itself and how it affects people, how some adapt, some fall apart, how some get jaded and some rise up. 
it's just all of it is so good. It is so good. Uh, Miyako going from basically a villain to to something so much more was fantastic. Um, again, Ruby just broke me so many times. Um, I, I couldn't even count. I'm loving Kana's character as they've they've brought her back in the fold. Um, it's just it's so beautiful. And visually, it's great. There was only like one still shot in the first episode that I it honestly for me off put me. But Dokobo, thank goodness, is back to doing good stuff. <laughs> I was so terrified of Dokobo taking on this project because I was kind of hyped for it, but. They're doing good so far. They're they're really nailing the characters, the emotions, the, the style, and everything so well. It's it's a beautiful show. I'm loving it to death. I I could not say more. Go watch it. It's it, it it's been fighting for number one in my of this season so far for quite a while now with Heavenly Delusion. Um, every time I watch one or the other episodes, that ends up taking over the one spot. So highly suggest it. Please go watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. 10 out of 10, all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, just be ready because it's, it's already, again, it's already like freaking forever. It's it's like five episodes in now. Um, Let's dive into something weird. Did you watch this one? Yes. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, Kamikatsu, what God does in a world without gods. Our next one are Kaminaki Sekai no Kamisama Katsudo. This one is uh, done by Studio Palette, or Palette, whatever you want to call it. Uh, sources of manga, genres are action, comedy, drama, ecchi, fantasy. This one opens up with Yukito, who is currently going through this ritual that his father put together. His father is a leader of a cult. <laughs> and the ritual is that Yukito has to be submerged under water for three days, and the goddess will protect him and bring him back, and then he'll become the leader of the cult. Uh, that didn't work out. Yukito just dies. <laughs> Seemingly just dies. Um, and we find out through his life flashing before his eyes that he has had a terrible life. Like, his whole life has been garbage. Every time he goes to a new school, he gets embarrassed by the cult members or just... He has a really terrible luck overall. So, he then wakes up in another world as he's kind of drifting away and wishing that he would go off into a world that doesn't have religion or cults or anything. He wakes up in another world... Um, being revived by this girl named Aru Aru, who's yanking at his lever. Uh, apparently, she thinks that's the way to fix him. <laughs> that's right. He, she does. So he she does. yanks at his lever until he wakes up, and then breaks it when she panics that he wakes up. Um, so she wants to help him out until he recovers from breaking his lever by, you know, taking care of him at this village. Um, kind of find out this village is full of people that are sort of rejects from the central kingdom. We have the central kingdom, and then all these little villages outside the central kingdom, and all the people in those villages are either exiled there or they're people that don't believe in their, their belief system, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, not really necessarily belief system, but their rules. Um, but yeah, as we find out really quickly, Yukito realizes this play doesn't have a, a sense of religion. Like these people don't even know what he means when he says a God or something like that. They have no sense of religion, cult or anything. So he pretty much got what he wished for a world without gods. And over time, he, he at first, he's like, cool, this is Isekai, I'm going to become an adventurer, where's the adventurer guild out, where, where do I find a job? And so she's like, oh, over here, which basically just leads him to be a, a farmer. <laughs> so he's just farming all day, he presents the I, the concept of essentially turning fruit into wine to them, which they all start getting drunk and having merry times. Eventually, they go to the Empire in the middle. They go to visit there because Roy said that he found a really lewd book about sex. <laughs> They go there, and he's they they immediately tell Yukito, don't talk to anybody in this town. 
because we're from the outside villages and everybody hates us. And so they go to this shop, ends up finding this sex book is just basically a bunch of really old style artwork, which doesn't really do nothing for Yukito. And, but that freaks them out. Um, eventually he takes note of this group, get this gathering in the middle of the empire where people are essentially at their quote unquote end of life. They have this ritual where people are selected for their end of life and they have to, and they willingly go forward, drink this potion and end their lives. And that kind of freaks them out. And apparently the villages on the outside of the, the empire don't have this custom. Um, that's why they're exiled there. People that don't believe in end of life or are afraid of death or are exiled there, go there. And he's like, okay, well, it just doesn't seem like it affects them. So they go back off to the village. And that's when we come to find out that it still affects them because yes, they do still have to end their lives, but it's not by their choice. They will be executed basically. So yeah, um, Aradaru, who, again, revived him and her sister are set to be executed. He goes there to try to stop them. He ends up nearly dying. He calls up to Mitama for the first time ever. And Mitama finally shows up. She's like, you finally called me. His goddess finally appears, revives him, revives the others, and then kills all the bad guards. And then they leave. They flee the town. What kind of follows this is that they just made the Empire mad. He now has this goddess next to him. And so... He's like, well, okay, she can protect us from them, right? Well, she's incredibly weak because she has no followers in this world. So his goal is that he has to get as many followers. At the time that we kind of established, it has to be 10,000. He has to get 10,000 followers to follow Mitama so that she can have enough power to fight back. And um, that's kind of where... Oh, yeah, then at some point, they request to revive the guards that they destroyed, which one of them turned into a girl for some reason. So that's a thing. This this Bertrand just become a girl randomly, become a saber character. Um, and yeah, this the shenanigans with building a religion in a world without religion um, by a guy that hates religion, <laughs> essentially. Your thoughts? This is a show that is so absurd that it in in a lot of ways uh, for me at least it works. Um, it, it's it's like one of the funny things is is half of the jokes hit and they hit perfectly. The other half is like they those those jokes fall so flat on their face, but the jokes that hit really well absolutely outshadow them. It's it, it's one of those things that it's absolutely goofy uh, the absurdity that comes out of this show. I mean. Uh, Andrew bringing up the, the, the lever. I completely forgot about that, but it, it is one of those, th- that's, that's kind of the, the humor when, when, when the humor hits, it hits so perfectly well. Uh, Mitama, uh, the, like Andrew had mentioned, the, the Yukito absolutely despises religion it, the absurdity of the fact that he's literally from ground level, starting religion in a world that has no concept of what even a god is and just just building it up um bertrand uh being completely flipped over to uh, a female character and 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 the the saber uh uh scenes that that came out of that that particular clip and he's like and when when it goes to normal scene it kill me it's just just when the the humor hits it hits well um when it doesn't oh well move on where's the next the next humorous joke it 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 
so in, in all actuality, I, I have actually really enjoyed this show. It's just so absurd, and I really like it. I think to that point with the aspect of it not working and then it kind of moving on, it's 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 a good thing and a bad thing that it almost feels like the pacing's a, a little bit fast in the idea that when it does kind of miss, you just kind of move on to the next one. It's like, all right, scene changes, go. <laughs> it's like it doesn't, doesn't sit there and dwell on it, even if it does fail for you. But now this show is like, it's absurd, it's raunchy, it's dumb, it's hilarious, and I love it. And I hate I hate to say that I love it because it's like one of those ones where it's almost a it's almost borderline like uh, guilty pleasure. But I've, I've I've gotten to the point now where I don't really use the term guilty pleasure anymore, just because I just like what I like and I don't care. Um, but yeah, it's it's absurd, and I I absolutely love it for that. I do appreciate that you you could tell as a character just because he's. He's he's likable in a sense in the idea that he just kind of does what he does. He is he's got a little bit of selfish in there, but it's typically just for self preservation. But at the same time, he acknowledges when he's technically a hypocrite in the idea that yes, now that he's got Mintama on his side, he's technically trying to do what his father did. And so he technically praises his dad for like, man, he had ten thousand when he was in my previous life, and it's a lot harder to do this than I thought it would be. These people don't know what this is, and so I have to explain it to them. And then at some point he realizes, I just need to change it. I just need to not try to introduce religion, but rather just feed into what people want. And that's exactly what it will give him pretty much the same sense in, a, in, a, in the end. But um, yeah, it's 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 over the top in that regard. Mitama's great. I love that she is a dork. She's got delusions of grandeur. She does stupid things and at the same time kind of is OP at the same time when she can be. Um, I love her to death. She's she's fantastic. She, she must be followed. Um yeah, I, I, th- I think overall the cast is solid. I, I think Roy was the only character that got – he's a little loud. He, he's kind of in that same realm as um, Lazengetsu, his name is, and Demon Slayer. He's kind of that, that character that's always screaming about stupid stuff. He is technically the quote-unquote Lolicon character, um, so they play off that joke a couple times. But like I said, over, other than that, I think I, I like the whole cast of characters. They're all flawed and stupid in their own, ra- in their own right. Um, but I think it all works in how stupid it is because – Everybody in that world is so oblivious to things that are normal. Like, again, the idea of religion, the concepts of um, even re- reproduction, they're all completely oblivious to it. They kind of insinuate that Arararu was technically kicked out of the kingdom because she was so sex-obsessed. She said that was the reason why she was there is because she does things like this, which is technically tie him up in the middle of the night and try to experiment on his body. Um, it's It's crazy in that regard. But uh, yeah, I love Burton Ran. I, I love the whole saber spoof, and then the kill me. Um, and yeah, they're kind of insinuating at this point that the power of the kingdom is not necessarily an army, but necessarily people that are blessed in a sense from the emperor. Which that's all kind of creating this bigger picture of a question mark for me. Honestly, is it's it's honestly insinuating that yes, Yukito created the world. Was when he drowned, when he was claiming, "I want a world without gods and religion." Did Mitama, in a sense, create the world for him and placed him into it? And then finally he called out to her. Because, again, it has no sense of life. And even at some point when um, when they were all cheering to kill him, he's like, everybody up on the rafters, they're, they just walked away. It's as if they are dot, dot, dot. Kind of indicates this idea that Yokito knows why they're acting the way they're acting because they maybe something that he thought of when he was dying. So I, I'm kind of wondering if this whole world is created by him. And... On the opposite end, is there another person in this world that has the same, I guess, um, is there another Isekai in the world? The Emperor is the big question mark in the whole world. The Emperor, 
along with this group of people, created the Empire itself and created a very kind of messed up system in there. And this Emperor is able to bestow power upon people like Atara, as we've seen um, in recent episodes. So I'm, I'm kind of wanting, in, from that perspective, what the Emperor is and watch the Emperor be his dad. <laughs> watch the Emperor be his dad. <laughs> um, I'm curious about all that stuff. I'm already kind of... It sucks whenever you hear it. Did you hear it as well? Um, there was a Seiyu that's two characters in the show. Did you catch it? I caught Loki. a... Huh? Loki. I heard... Because she's a very... This Seiyu is super um, unique. And the idea that they do very good kind of... Um, the Loki was, was Loki the one that was talking to Atar? Yes. Was the yeah, one that I was delaying so. Atar. Um, yeah. It's one of those moments... It, it's one of those voices that's super unique. It's like Aoyuki. If you heard two characters with Aoyuki's voice, you're like, that's the same character. It's just they're there to use in disguise or something like that. And that's kind of what happened with this show is I'm like, yeah, that's that's totally that character because I can hear her voice. That's She has a very unique voice. So I'll be curious as to what that's going to be about. It would it, it obviously explains why um, Loki is delaying um, Atar because obviously. He oh yeah, yeah. I, I I just assumed that that was her disguised character in the group. Let's just say that. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. She's she's living there, yes, and hanging out, that. and I don't know if he's hanging out because they knew that Yukuto was brought there, or if um, he's always hung out in that village, but. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of turns out. But, yeah, overall, it's not the greatest-looking show. It's got a unique style to it, but it, it does well enough when it needs to do well. Um, but, yeah, overall, I'm just enjoying it just because it's absurd. It's a very different isekai. It's, you can barely call it an isekai. It's just, yes, he got transferred there, but it's it's all about building a religion. Like, in another world with my religion building. Um, and it's super absurd in that regard. It's fun. I enjoy it. Comedy's pretty spot on most of the time for me even though it's super raunchy and i typically don't like raunchy humor um it's good i i suggest it it's it's a it's a it's a fun it's a fun different type of show so checked out kamikatsu if that sounds interesting to you do you check out konosuba world yep. an explosion on this wonderful world yeah um a spinoff of the original konosuba series for those who don't know uh which the original konosuba series this guy getting a guy with a goddess or he drags a goddess into this another world and then um, he pretty much meets a bunch of goofy party members and does stuff, adventuring. <laughs> well, this is obviously a spinoff to following the past story, or at least the origins of Megaman, who is one of the characters in his party. And Megaman, as she goes to an academy to graduate, become a real mage. And how she was inspired when she was very young by some lady that showed up and blew up this big monster that she unfortunately unlocked and released from its seal <laughs> blew up some monster and got inspired to learn explosion magic even though it's as the doctor or the, the as the um, teacher says at some point it's pretty much a joke spell because it has no purpose it takes too long to, to learn it and all it does is just make a back a big huge boom so but she's going to keep to it because it's what inspired her so yeah so she goes to the academy meets a bunch of characters including yun yun which uh, is his best girl, and um, learns to be a mage. Your thoughts? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I, I like it because I get a lot of the characters that I, I really enjoyed in the main show. Um, I, it's one of those things that you, you – this is one of those shows that you watch and you're like – I really, really want to love it. I there. I technically don't really have much that I hate about it. 
it's just not working. And it's really, really frustrating on that respect of, I love the characters and I, 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 I can feel myself just enjoying it mostly because of those characters. But in all actuality, what they're doing at any one point just isn't really all that interesting. Um, so it's, it's really, really hard to want to push myself into this mode of gushing all over it because when it all comes down to it, I, it, I'm not really enjoying it as much as I was hoping that I would. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, it's, it's interesting because I technically did have a nice aha moment when I first started watching this series because I didn't watch the movie. And from what I'm understanding in the movie, they established that, yes, the the town that Megaman's from, they're all nuts. And I didn't know that. So when I when I opened up this series and started watching it, I'm like, holy crap, I thought Megaman was just unique in this 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 particular town. No, they're all nuts. They're and that's what's so funny is it's that everybody outshines Megaman in her goofiness. Like Megaman is who she is in the original Konosobi series because she's a chuni talking about explosions and her and her mannerisms and her grandiose nature made her and now it's just a whole village full of them and so i'm constantly going where's megaman at i'm looking around like where's she at she's the star right it almost feels like she gets outshined by everybody else and that everybody else is the focus but they're not interesting enough like i mean i've enjoyed union's moments in this series but i'm not unfortunately enjoying megaman because it doesn't feel like she's who she is and maybe that's just a character she has to develop, but it seems like she's still Mega Man from the very beginning. She still acts like it. It's just she's not as, I guess, loud as she usually is. She's gonna be she's being outshadowed or being outshined. And I think that's where I'm kind of falling is I don't the original kind of soup is great because of the chemistry of those characters. Though that's a band of doofuses that come together so perfectly in chemistry, whereas I don't really feel like I have that chemistry with this series. I mean it's just Union and her one-sided rivalry with Mega Man and a lot of focus on Arue, who is, you know, very, very big sister heart at times. But I don't know. Besides maybe like the whole moment in, I think it was two or three episodes, the third episode, I think it was, where they just, they, these dorks just start blowing up the entire village because why not? They want to show off to the students. It was kind of comical in that regard or the whole aspect of killing the monsters or finishing off the monsters that the... The teacher kind of started up. Um, it's just it, after my initial shock of this whole town is nuts and getting reminded about the, how nuts they are when they're blowing up the entire town. It's It hasn't really done much to really kind of impress me or at least get me laughing. And it sucks because I love Konosuba and I love Mega Man. And I, everything about this should work for me. And it's just not really. And it sucks because of that. Like I... And I'm, and I'm happy to see that I'm not really alone in this because I've seen a lot of people, especially in the Discord, like, yeah, I'm kind of the same boat. Like, I want to love it, but it's not really, it's not really working, and I, I don't really know why. But um, super unfortunate because this is literally like one of the most hype shows that I had for this season. And I just jump into it, and it's like, okay, <laughs> that's just not really doing much. So it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Can't can't win them all unfortunately but yeah but that's that's all we're gonna go through today hope you guys enjoyed these first impressions of the spring 2023 anime season we just got done with the reviews so I'm, my, my brain's still stuck on when uh when, winter so but as per usual at talkspirit.com we hope you guys enjoyed and you all take care oh